Good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are. Welcome to the Knights of the Underground Tables spooky season episode on uh, Hellraiser. Um, yeah, I kind of gave that one right away. It's Clive Barker's Hellraiser, everybody. That's what we're watching. <laughs> you already knew. You clicked in. Uh, sitting at the table with me, um, virtually and physically, uh, Ryan King. Uh, we, yeah, we have such podcasts for you to listen to. <laughs> I thought you would try to deepen your voice for it. I'll just do it after, right? Or <laughs> oh yeah, afterwards we have such podcasts. Yeah, we'll figure that one out. Uh, and also at the table, Michael Dixon. What's up? Uh, this movie was fucking wild. Um, I have n- <laughs> never seen any of the Hellraiser movies before, and this was quite an experience. Yep, this is uh, the only one of two, as far as I know, uh, <laughs> in, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and Ryan, this was your pick for us. Uh, so why don't you go ahead, tell us about uh, Hellraiser, yeah. written and directed by Clive Barker, 1987. Yes. Um, back last year in October, I kind of was watching each of the major spooky season movies, um, franchises that had like a ridiculous number of movies, which Hellraiser does. Uh, I kind of saw this as maybe like first out of the Mount Rushmore of horror villains was Pinhead. After watching this, I'm not so sure. Um, (laughs) <laughs> where where he falls, but I'm not quite sure he's just out. He's definitely not on the floor, um, okay. <laughs> which I, which is like to me is like Mike Myers, Jason Voorhees. I'll say Chucky it is probably on there. Yeah, um, and I'm forgetting who my other now. I've, I've completely forgotten. What was the uh, other one that I watched anyway, Nightmare on Elm Street? Hey, Freddy? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, 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 like those are your solid four. Which like, Chucky's kind of like there. Um, and then, yeah, Pinhead, I feel like now is, is he's, so he's further on the back. down. He's on the back of yeah. Rushmore. <laughs> so th- this is what I was looking at last year and was like, all right, well, I've watched everything else. I'm like, I haven't ever seen Hellraiser and I just skipped it just out of like, I know it's not as important. So this season I was like, all right, well, let's get the next couple of the horror staples that have a ridiculous number of sequels for no reason. Um, and picked up Hellraiser, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I agree. It was a trip. I'm pretty <laughs> disappointed in it compared to other horror movies, um, which really surprised me that this thing has nine sequels and a remake that's coming out next month, which is an oral, whenever you're listening to this, some point in the near future, um, which is interesting to me because I'm like, I now I kind of want to watch the remake because I want to see what the hell they do oh, with yeah. it out of a morbid curiosity not out of this movie deserves a remake or anything yeah. uh yeah so we'll go around i guess and then we'll come back to like what the core plot is question mark hell yeah <laughs> yeah um so i i liked this um this isn't really my type of movie this kind of like slasher film that doesn't really have much of a point except to like be a slasher film um you know, so like, but I did think it was very well executed. Like the practical effects were really good. Um, acting was hit or miss depending mm-hmm. on the the character. But um, I was impressed with the craftsmanship of it, and it was very original. Like I haven't really seen any stories quite like that before. It didn't necessarily make a lot of sense, but it was you know a, a pretty wildly original concept that had some interesting aspects to it so like overall it was like okay yeah you know i understand 
why people like this. Um, you know, I don't really understand why any franchise has 10 sequels, except for, of course, except The Fast for- and the Furious. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, pretty much like most of these types of things where it's like, oh, yeah, we're making another Halloween movie. And I'm like, no, I don't care. So like, but I, I have I do try to see the first ones of all these series. And so I hadn't seen any of the Hellraiser movies before. So I'm glad I checked this one off the list. Yeah. Um, this is my second time watching Hellraiser one. Uh, and I opted to put myself through my paces and watch all of the other Hellraisers with the exception of the one that came out in 2011. I don't remember what it's called, but it was not available to rent on the streaming platform I was using. Instead, I was offered uh, to rent Hellraiser one, two for separate prices and then to rent a bundle of six (laughs) to get through (laughs) to the eighth. And then the ninth I had to rent separately as well. Uh, so, <laughs> Wait, how much did it cost to rent six Hellraiser I, movies at once? <laughs> it was like 40 bucks or something. I, to no, rent? I mean, for all of them, yeah. I don't for remember. For six of them? I paid for oh, HD man. and some of the other ones. It was like, I wanted the extra crispy. I feel like that should be two to four bucks a pop. I don't really Especially remember. if you're bundling them together. You should be getting a deal. I, maybe I just feel like I paid more <laughs> overall for everything I did. Uh, yeah, it's probably not actually 40. I don't know what it is anymore. <laughs> I've, oh, I've forgotten. My brain is mush, everybody. I've watched yeah, three that. Hellraiser movies a night for the past three days leading up to this. I, uh, John Ryan, has you're been gonna have raised to, carry me. to hell. <laughs> you, yeah. You have to carry me, man. Um, we'll carry anyways, the, the of- off topic here. Hellraiser is this 1. Like when, this is like when Joey Chestnut eats like a whole bunch of grapes. And like prep for a competition. Yeah, <laughs> this is exactly what this is. <laughs> um, yeah, Hellraiser 1 is a great, I enjoy that movie. It's a great horror movie. It's, it, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like um, an Italian made uh, giallo or horror film of, around Clive Barker's work. That's kind of what it is like this uh, interesting sort of dressing to it. And in a lot of Italian horror that I've watched, it's like, there's not a whole lot of the, the plot holes are just right there in your face. They oh, don't yeah. care though, because it's like pure style or the practicals really good, really innovative kind of shots, which I think this movie achieves. It has so much kind of authentically creepy visuals to it that, uh, I was very sad continue to decline over the course of the rest of the uh, franchise yeah. <laughs> as it eventually forgets who it is and instead insists that there is only pinhead. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, I always thought that, you know, Pinhead was the thing that this movie was supposed to be about. And he's just like one of the background villains. He's not even movie. credited in the movie as Pinhead. He's the lead Cenobite. That's like yeah. all that he goes by. Um, yeah. And he wasn't even intended to be that. Like, I think that would be interesting real quick to talk about the background of this. So Clive Barker, uh, around the same time as Stephen King, he was definitely a com- competitor um, to Stephen King in the 80s. He had a series of short stories that that took off for him pretty well, and and then I think he also wrote the short stories like it wasn't in the it wasn't in his main compilation, but he wrote this Hellbound Heart, mm-hmm. um, which then was picked up to be made into what we know today as Hellraiser uh, with Clive Barker as the director, which I thought was interesting because he had like one yeah. TV directing credit or something to his name before. Um, the characters are just Cenobites, I think, in the book. I don't even think they're beyond sort of like just creepily described. Mm-hmm. And they put a lot of effort into designing and, and creating them. But 
one of them was supposed to be the head one, and he couldn't even talk in his makeup. So they just sort of dropped all his lines. One of them couldn't see. Yeah, no, it was the Duke one. The, oh, the, like, just oh, that the, guy. The, With the, the sunglasses the, that revealed sewn together eyelids. When yeah. 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 He, he was the worst. Like, he didn't have any lines. Any, his makeup effects, I think, were skippable. Well, that's when the like, budget started to wear out. They probably cut him. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially compared to the others. And so, yeah, the other one that, that had no eyes and just a giant mouth, they cut some of its dialogue and he couldn't see so they were that was part of like that actor couldn't get around and i, I saw john you probably saw later uh movies they gave him eyes so that they, whoever was in the suit could actually see what was going on <laughs> yeah uh and yeah so that meant more the dialogue kind of dumped onto pinhead and his design is cool like that's honestly probably what makes this movie successful is pinhead's design is cool and he got some cool lines and that stuck um, even though he's in this movie for like three minutes, yeah. <laughs> barely yeah. exists. Yeah. And so he's, yeah. Then afterwards got a name just from the fans almost from like the special effects team called him that. And then some fans called him that. Um, but yeah, he's not credited. None of them are credited with anything. So I feel like this movie accidentally stumbled into that. <laughs> yeah. The second movie production started during this one and they were already going one direction and realized like, Oh crap, we have to like center this around pinhead. People are buying pinhead masks and shit. And like, we got to actually make this work. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's not actually referred to as pinhead until the third Hellraiser movie, I believe. Um, Cause even in the second one, they just kind of go through and they're like, Oh my God, it's the Cenobites, I guess. So <laughs> Which they never explain what the fuck a Cenobite is, Which by the way. Is, like, is do they like, after nine movies ever really explain it, John? Vaguely? Yeah, they do, I guess. And then in the last Don't movie, care. they just do some really fucking dumb shit. I can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, so anyways, we, we cut like right into me saying my thoughts on it, but it's good. I like it. It's uh, I would recommend the first Hellraiser um, and the second one, maybe, but not anything after that. And maybe three for fun. Why not? Sure. We'll talk about it. Um, but yeah, so with with that. Ryan, why don't you regale us with uh, start us off in the story here? What do we have at the beginning of Hellraiser? Yeah, it, it's interesting. The movie feels like it doesn't exactly tell you what the fuck is going on, um, though it does have some like a very introductory like exposition dump type of set of scenes that really bothered me. <laughs> but the like our core plot is built around Frank, yeah. who appears to be like he buys a. Puzzle, the puzzle box um which has some name <laughs> like lemon configuration scene, or whatever they like zo it's zoomed in very closely on this table and you just see people's hands and you have this guy saying hey uh mr cotton what's your pleasure and frank cotton says the box and then he takes the box <laughs> and gives throws some cash on the table and walks away and they zoom out and it's just some dude sitting at a cafe with a box and the guy comes and sits and he's like what's your pleasure it's like you're not running a store full of <laughs> mystical things yeah. you're sitting at a table with one item on it like you have <laughs> one thing to provide the question what's your pleasure does not make any sense yeah and weirdly i thought this he was has like, hands i just want to make yeah. a point he has more to offer he does have it yeah in if he's trying to sell light, sex acts then that's another thing <laughs> right right that's a whole another conversation yeah. i thought initially like as they're panning out that I, this was going to be like vietnam like you know he had to go into this really weird place and find this thing or whatever and it's like now nah, it's like a patio on a chipotle yeah <laughs> no. 
<laughs> so yeah, Frank, I guess, is searching for more and more pleasure that he can't get. He's some sort of sexual deviant. And in he takes the box back to open it, uh, which apparently is really easy, and <laughs> opens the box and is immediately <laughs> eviscerated because yeah. he calls in these Cenobites from some other dimension. And then the... Some wires shoot out and hook into yes. him and start like pulling his skin off. And Yep, and that's yeah. the franchise, everybody. That's pretty much what you're going to get a lot of. If you're not into that, you, you're in trouble. So yeah, from there, Frank's brother and sister-in-law are going back to their old house, which happens to be... or I guess it was like the mom's house, Frank's and Larry's yeah. mom's house, mm-hmm. uh, which happens to be where Frank eviscerated himself upstairs. Uh, and they move in without looking through this house. Uh, oh, they do. They do look through the house <laughs> and it's full of rats and bugs and it's got like yeah, mildew like, all over the walls. And, and Larry's it's like, awful. it's a real fixer upper, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> and like his wife clearly doesn't want to move in there. And he's, he's like, oh, come on. Like we can make it a home. And she's like, okay, I guess we can do it. And I'm thinking, all right, they're going to like remodel this whole thing. This is like a teardown project. They ought to get exterminators out. They got to like redo the, all the drywall and all this stuff. And <laughs> Larry goes, we'll move in Sunday. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? <laughs> like that place is full of disease. You're just gonna move into that house on Sunday without doing any work to it. It's fucking wild. Yeah. The open where Frank opens the puzzle, they they do this like effect where the light, like when he summons the Cenobites, like he's doing the spell, and the lights like coming through these like cracks in the wall. Oh yeah. Like the boards that are in the mm. wall. And I was yeah. like, oh, this is some abandoned house. Like he's just. Nope. You know, in some wrecked house or whatever. It's like, nope, this is the upstairs of this house. <laughs> <laughs> this old and, house that was one at one point very nice and is now just a piece of shit. I, I don't understand. Crap. It must have been like trashed for so long or like, I don't know. Like, where did he go to get the box? Was it a Chipotle nearby or was it like halfway around the world? Yeah, the they, way they said that scene made it look like he fe- was at like a market in Macau or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah, supposedly <laughs> it was just like around the corner. Like, it's just <laughs> in the same town. Like, he gets it, he goes <laughs> home, he opens it. Like, there's... Yeah, yeah, it's quite ridiculous. He went to um, Rex. <laughs> yeah. No, that, yeah. The house, yeah, because that upstairs, that whatever room that is upstairs, is just completely awful. Like, the set design, it, yeah, it's mildew on the wall, like, it's coming apart, everything. But, yeah, I got the impression that, like, Larry never even looked in that room. Until <laughs> oh, later no. in the movie, he goes but in like, there. But like right no when idea. he walk in the door, there are patches of mildew all over the walls. Like the kitchen is full of roaches and bugs and maggots and shit. Like and they're just like, all right, cool, well, we'll just move in. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, okay. Well, and they is your they life. stuff. <laughs> yeah, they stuff every other room with shit. So like the room that's next to this attic is just you can't even just move around. Filled yeah. with boxes and boxes of stuff, and then we just left that room empty. Like yeah. we couldn't have put. A couple boxes in there to save some space. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. It so is a very big yeah. house, and that room is very far at the top. So they maybe they just didn't have enough shit to fill it. I don't know, but yeah. I, I guess that yeah, a lot of the other rooms are very full. I uh, I, so I kept thinking like like Larry was very. I was like, who is this guy? I've seen him before. Like, who is this motherfucker that looks like the love child of Harvey Keitel and Randy Quaid? <laughs> And uh, it turns out he's Andrew Robinson is the actor and he plays the serial killer in Dirty Harry. It's like, oh, oh. shit. Okay. So that was like 16 years before this. He was much younger and he had like long scraggly hair and like in a very maniacal, crazy role. And this is a, you know, a button down suburban dad role that it's like, oh, shit. I just had no idea that that was that guy. Yeah. I just want to say, too, I thought that he was the dad from Donnie Darko. 
um, for the longest, like, they, and then I looked at that actor is completely different, but I was like, oh, it's like, it's him. If he went into like a steam machine and he came out, <laughs> it'd just be like less of him. Uh, but yeah, he gets to yeah. do something interesting. Like he, when he finally is the like crazy character at the end, like yeah. I thought that was good and it was a good transition, mm. but he spends so much of this movie is just like a clueless dude. A, um, yeah completely worthless yeah guy has no idea what's going on i want to note that here are the characters that we're talking about okay it's frank it's his brother larry larry is married to julia who is going to we'll find out is kind of a femme fatale figure um and then uh daughter kirsty played by ashley lawrence um stepdaughter to julia step, right yeah stepdaughter to yeah. julia yeah uh i just want to say this movie made me feel like clive barker is one of those alpha bros um, the way that he writes Larry oh. is like this so oddly like, yeah, look at this fucking dweeb of a man who yeah. can't like satisfy his wife really or do anything of value. Now look at how fucking sexy and cool Frank is. Frank Even is. when his bones are melted clean off his body, <laughs> he wields <laughs> sexual power. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. With, yeah, the uh, the I, I saw that as a recurring theme in the other Hellraisers. This underlying like weird sexual tension, and so many people like cheating on each other, and then trying to reach like a higher plane of pleasure that ends up being their downfall. I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that ends up being. Um, poor Larry doesn't deserve any. Thing really that it comes to him in this movie. <laughs> no. Yeah, <laughs> so- <laughs> no clue what's going on. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so Larry and Julia are moving into the house. Mainly this, like, scene here, this is what drove me crazy, is at this point we get into, like, this stupid dialogue mm-hmm. of a horror movie where people talk like they don't talk so they can just give you as much background as possible. Yep. That that every It's like, hey, we should move into this house. And then it's like, uh, and suddenly it's about our jobs that we're not happy with and about our, like they just start arguing about everything that's been going on in the last few <laughs> yeah. years with them. Like, right. Like, so that we get all that. And during that, then the daughter calls so we can hear all the background with the daughter and learn everything about her. Mm. And then Julia just starts flashing back to her love affair with Frank before, like all of this is all just dumped on you yep. with no, like just to get it all out of the way so we can get to the next like get back to the special effects. Like just give us everybody quick and dump every piece of information about them. Yeah. The you mentioned Julia's flashbacks. I I was under the impression that that was just like a fantasy she was having in her head when she stumbled across these pictures. But maybe it was maybe it was a flashback and she had actually had a relationship with Frank. Either way, the plot of this movie is contingent upon an uptight woman's rape fantasy, which seems very problematic and upsetting. Uh, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, this movie is doing this. All right. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really. Yeah. She. she yeah. She's go. They're going through the shit in the house and she finds Frank's collection of sexy uh, photos. photos, sexy photos <laughs> he's been taking of, of all his different sexual escapades. And I thought, I swear, she just like pockets them. And at this point, mm. you have no clue. Julia She's tearing the other women out house. of the pictures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she starts tearing the other women out. Yeah. And then, yeah, when she goes up in the attic where he died, she starts thinking back on him. And yeah, it is unclear. Oh, oh my God. And then it goes all the way to the point of like they have sex on the on the wedding dress. Yeah. On mm-hmm. like the night of the, <laughs> like, on the, day of the wedding. Like, yeah. Like they really push it to just the absolute extreme worst penthouse letter possible. (laughs) Um, 
yeah, and then th- through that, this this is where it gets really sketchy really fast. So that we get all of our exposition out of the way. Uh, Julia's growing up, or sorry, uh, Kirsty is growing up and doesn't like Julia for whatever reason. Julia doesn't like Kirsty. Like, and we have all of our background that we need. Yep. Uh, in, Larry in really move- wants Kirsty to move in with them, but she's like, no, I don't like. She's Julia. on her own. Gonna, yeah. yeah, you get to know that he's rich she's- too. He's like, yeah, we appreciate the gesture, and she's like, it's not a gesture, Dad. I'm gonna <laughs> make it out here. <laughs> <laughs> there's also there's a scene when Kirsty comes over when they're moving in and like she's tripping over Catholic paraphernalia. It's just yeah. everywhere. Oh, yeah. Just so much junk that was like there when they moved in. Not that they're moving in. It's like I guess his mom was like a super Catholic and there's just like Jesus statues all over the place. Like one of them I'm on the mantle that like lights up. Yeah. And <laughs> Yeah, which is it has no bearing on anything. But they no. went out. I guess they no. found a bunch of these, and they're like, "All right, well, we gotta make that's we gotta creepy. fill stuff that's up." And the only yeah. bearing, throw them everywhere. The yeah. only bearing it really had was on the jump scare that made me shout, "Jesus!" <laughs> 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 I was very upset that it made me do that when he falls out of the cabinet. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. Yeah, we I audibly yeah. yelled, "Jesus!" in my house. <laughs> so we get an elongated scene where they're moving in where Larry and these two movers cannot get a fucking couch. Oh, by the way, fucking couch. We'll get to that. Right. Cannot yeah. get a couch a bed, up yeah. the stairs. Yeah. Or couch. Wow. That's mattress. A mattress. Yeah. 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 They can't get this mattress up the stairs. Uh, I do love at one point they take a break and he gives them a whole six pack of beer. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, if you do that with movers, they won't not move your stuff. Like, yeah. that's it. You're done. <laughs> Larry has no clue. Yeah, so they're trying to get it in. Uh, they ogle Julia and then proceed to ogle Kirsty when she comes in, too. Like, yeah. <laughs> they just... turn to Larry, and one oh, of them's God. like, oh, she's got her mom's looks. And Larry goes, her mom's dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I did I did watch this with Darla, so I'll, I'll like, throw her comments in, in as we go. Oh. <laughs> but the movers, like, the movers are, like, ogling julia and talking about how hot she was and both of us were like i mean she's they're acting like she's a supermodel the way that they talk about her describe her that that i was just like i mean she's good looking but the the way that people act about her in this movie like like doesn't quite fit somebody making like the wolf noises watching downton abbey uh, that's kind of how I felt like, <laughs> like I don't know that you would just be out there like, oh, my God, a hooga. <laughs> the Brits. Anyways. Look, look at the gams on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See the ankle? Oh, my God. Um, I mentioned the Frank and Julia flashback where they're having sex on the on the bed. We actually get this simultaneously while Larry and the guys are trying to move the mattress up the stairs and we get this thrusting of them pushing the mattress timed with the thrusting in the flashback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this like you see a nail on the edge of the banister that Larry's hand is like getting ever closer to like all all together. That was so bizarre and like <laughs> over the top, but also like also I was like, oh, my gosh, are we doing are we really doing this? Like, <laughs> this is too much. Julie's getting nailed, and so is Larry's hand. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's yes. Clive Barker is a poet, but if you read between the lines, at first, before he actually tore his hand on the nail, I was like, "Wait a minute, is he just flashing to a nail to just show that she's getting nailed? Is it really what they're doing?" <laughs> 
beautiful. Nice. <laughs> and we should say that, like, in her, whether it's a flashback or a fantasy, unclear, but, like, Frank approaches her with a knife and was like, I'm going to fuck you oh, yeah. right now. And she's like, oh, no, but I like it. Like, it's very upsetting. I was very uncomfortable, yeah. Yeah. I actually had forgot that that happened because the Hellraisers after are much more progressive. <laughs> really? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Larry ends up cutting his hand on this nail, uh, and immediately the the man baby that Larry is uh, <laughs> freaking out about blood goes into Julia, who's in this bizarre fucking attic, uh, and is like, "I can't look at it. Help me, honey." Uh, the we have had a couple effects here, right? The initial like evisceration and the mm-hmm. the like pieces of I. I guess pieces of Larry like rotating around in his face being put back together or what have you. Uh, We get a pretty good Frank. Frank, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, Frank, we get a pretty good tear on Larry's hand. Like that was a decent effect work. And then we get blood. That's like Monty Python ish blood. (laughs) It's very, like very watery, very watered down. Um, But that blood falls on the floor and somehow, like, then through the floorboards. <laughs> the floor is, like, sponsored by Bounty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, like, soaks, it soaks the blood so, in. so quickly. <laughs> and then we get uh, the shot dropping through the floorboards, and there's just a heart. Like a heart? Like a yeah. shrunken heart that's barely beating underneath the floorboards. Like, where's the rest of him? Like, they showed in the opening scene his, like, body parts all over the place rotating on this pillar. Like, apparently he's now just a shriveled heart. And then you spill blood on him, and he just starts to form slowly. Just very, yeah, really very unclear. odd how this works. I love yeah. that really it's unclear. like his. It's not even just a shriveled heart. The way that it looks to me is like a Ziploc bag that's hyperventilating, <laughs> very slightly. <laughs> that's like all I could make out was like, "What is that?" And my screen is like big enough. I should know. I was. Th- I thought of Mr. Burns's heart. You know where they do like <laughs> yeah, the, like the Grinch run. parody where they show it. Yeah. <laughs> In the uh, original short story, it was Frank's semen that was on the floor that Larry's blood mixes with. Oh. And it makes a baby. It still makes no sense, but there's a certain amount of like, okay, yeah, like from a... How long had his semen been there? Well, it well I, yeah. <laughs> seemingly, seemingly in the course of the movie, Frank died like the day before they moved in. Like, we don't really know, I guess. <laughs> uh, life uh, finds a way, Dixon. <laughs> okay. Uh, nice. Yeah. When they leave, I guess like some, some point here afterwards, we, we get a really nice effect. Like, I agree. The effects work in this is really awesome. And we get this really awesome effect of... Frank's body like reforming like his skeleton and sinew whatever like reforming up out of the Mm. floor and like that was all that was great I think a yeah a kid who doesn't watch horror movies like under 12 saw this and they would have fucking nightmares absolutely (laughs) he looks like one of those crawler zombies from Call of Duty zombies you know they shoot you shoot their legs off and they're just like oh yeah 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 Yeah. His, yeah, his that that was really double, awesome. His body double's played by like a child, right, or, or somebody that's. I think smaller. it has to be that like yeah. crawl type deal or whatever that we see. Oh, yeah, yeah someone, it has to be. Yeah. yeah. Actually, speaking of that, I noticed that that Frank is played by one actor and Monster Frank is played by a different actor. It's like that's really strange that they would cast different people to play that. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. Maybe they just wanted yeah. a certain look for Frank that you would think he'd eventually get back to. Uh, yeah i don't know or it's just like one 
they got an actor who can sit there and put makeup on for eight oh, yeah, hours. Somebody who would tolerate yeah. it. And then another yeah. guy who's just like, you know, and then part of a motorcycle that. gang or something. Yeah, Frank Frank can do the close in. Like we just do the close yeah. in shot on his head and he's not he doesn't need as much makeup. It's like they sound um, close enough like each other. We'll just we'll just go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Um, I don't yeah. remember how we get to it, but Frank yeah. and Julia run into each other upstairs in the attic. Oh, well, they're the having plot. a nice dinner downstairs. Oh, right? that's right. They invited some guests over. So that they could <laughs> talk about rich people problems. I don't know. <laughs> it's like kind of the conversation is just yeah, so aloof. pretty much. And that yeah, one I forgot. Guy. This is where we're. Yeah, we're introduced to uh, Kirsty's boyfriend, question mark, Steve. Yes. Yeah, Roommate, where they have twin beds, but sleep in the <laughs> same room. Yeah. Like, is this a 1950s sitcom? What's going on here? <laughs> oh, gee, I think you're swell, Kirsty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he, at one point, she's having him pour alcohol for her. She's like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I won't be able to sit like sit straight. And he's like, then lie on your back or some shit. <laughs> and all the yeah. parents just laugh. Yeah, like the dad's yes. like, oh. <laughs> he wants to assault her. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> he's sexually harassing your daughter. <laughs> oh, hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah. then everybody else is having boring conversations to Julia, anyways, uh, and she's just like, no, I don't want to be here. This is dumb. And somebody else, like Julie's like, I'm going to go to bed. And one of Larry's friends stands up. He's like, yeah, we should go too. And Larry's like, no, we are celebrating. God damn it. You are staying. And I was like, wait, what? What is going on? Like, I don't even remember what he said they were celebrating. But this, the words didn't make any sense. Uh, was it was like, that that Larry went to the doctor for the nail in his hand. And the doctor mistreated him. So he was going to sue him for malpractice. Remember? He was going to ruin oh, a man's yeah. career because he got a fucking nail in his hand. Let's oh my celebrate. God. <laughs> All right, Anyways. maybe Larry deserved a little bit of what he's getting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <exactly. laughs> Oh, my God, this fucking guy. Uh, Larry's sin uh, of being rich. That's So, yeah, he forces that man. He holds this whole family yeah. hostage so that they can celebrate <laughs> in the lawsuit. We are going to stay here and get fucking shit-faced. We're going to stay here until we're whistling zippity-doo-dah out of our assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so Julia's like, fuck this. I feel tired. I'm going to go upstairs. She goes up and hears something in the room above, and she goes to investigate. And then uh, it's, Frank just, like, reveals himself, right? Like, the door closes. Yeah, he's, mm. yeah, yeah, and he just immediately, he's like, help me, or something. Or, don't look at me. I think <laughs> yeah, he starts yeah. off with that. He's don't like, don't, don't look at me. me. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, we get this sort of back and forth of where she's horrified, but she she legit. Like he's he's shouting at her or whatever, and she's like, "Tell me who you are." And I'm I was just like, "Is that what you would ask?" Because he looks like, I mean, it's his skin is not there, mm-hmm. and even yeah. his muscles maybe not there. Like it's like a person that's been completely yeah, ripped it's off. It's like a bloody skeleton. Yeah, yeah, like half that's of in a your bloody skeleton. Yeah. And whether it was that or just a straight up stranger in my attic i don't think one of my first questions is going to be uh tell me who you are yeah <laughs> no but she says that so that he can say he's frank it's me, which frank. she somehow agrees i guess maybe she recognizes yeah, she just takes voice, that at face voice. value yeah well she knows uh, it's honestly, him because he sexually molests her, Mr. her. Mm. Uh, <laughs> honestly as far as we can tell from the flashbacks uh he showed up before the wedding right in the rain and is like i'm frank yeah. The brother. Hey, I'm the hotter brother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then they have a fling that maybe is like a week at best. Yeah. And then that's not enough for Frank. 
So he's gone, I guess, to get the puzzle box. Yeah. And <laughs> she didn't do it enough for me. I need to fuck this box now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> under the box. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now she's it she's completely infatuated, will do anything for him, and, and recognizes that it's him, even though she barely knew him. Yeah. Who who fucking knows? <laughs> this movie has dream logic where characters just seem to already have some context or drive to do something they never should. Mm. Uh, they just tell us that they do. Yeah. They don't actually yeah, show us. They like yeah. loudly announce it <laughs> in various ways. Uh, yeah. Frank has revealed himself to be the half man. He is now um, crawling around and trying to but still more of a man than Larry. Honestly, this is like what twilight was trying to be. Uh, if it really was a true monster, <laughs> cause he's like, don't look at me. It's the skin of a killer. And it actually genuinely is. <laughs> Uh, and he's like, you know, oh, Frank's blood, Frank's blood gave me life. It brought me back just with just a little bit. I need more. And when he said that, I thought he meant he needed more of Frank's blood. Like he needed yeah, like a relative's like, yeah. blood. Or then like she, Julia makes a comment about Kirsty, and he's like, ooh, Kirsty. And I was like, oh, he wants her. Maybe her blood would work too. And then it turns out she, she just starts hitting on random dudes at bars and bringing them yeah. back into the house and luring them upstairs to the creepy attic room. And beating them over the head with hammers so Frank can feast on their insides and, uh, you know, just slowly become taller. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't really ever seem to heal much. He just, like, yeah, he doesn't can speak a little bit much. better and he can walk, but that's really about it, you know? And yeah. eventually he's strong enough to kill them on his own, I guess. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, he digs his hand, his fingers into the back of their necks and, like, sucks out the life juice, I guess. I, he's directly hooked into their spinal cord, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Important point here, the, we see the first body, which, yeah, I guess he, like, sucks blood out of them. It's not entirely clear. Mm -hmm. uh, Julia comes in and sees the, like, eviscerated body and picks it up and carries it into the next room. Because yeah, there's this, like, moment Larry where, like, is Larry's coming, into coming the house. home. Yeah, and she's yeah. like, oh, yeah. shit, like, what do I do? And oh, I wrote down, where the fuck is she putting these bodies? <laughs> right, exactly. She just walks across the hall and puts the body in another room. In some other room. And she does that with several bodies, and you never see what happens to them. Like, yep. they're just rotting, I guess, in that other room. No one is going in the room where Frank is. Just leave the bodies in there. Why are you risking y yeah. having incriminating <laughs> evidence in multiple rooms of the house? <laughs> She had to yeah. get so that fucking stupid. <laughs> she had to get that dead, rotting flesh smell out so that the living, rotting flesh smell could stay in. I suppose. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we only yeah. see one of the bodies at the very end, and that's because it just like leans onto Kirsty and right. scares her. But uh, that like, implies that all of those bodies were just thrown in that room. She literally mm. just put them at the very for back. Days. <laughs> the for box. days, yeah. They're in the back yeah, of the Narnia what, at closet. At least three that we know of, I think, that, that she has killed that right. are in there. Yeah. yeah th this yeah. lends into another thing that is part of this like dream logic is that these characters have no backup plan for any of their lives. Nobody seems to have... They're all like, whatever's right in front of them is what they're going to do. Uh, <laughs> that's why Larry walks around like a robot not knowing anything about his wife or his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Frank mentions, like, as he's coming back, that these the Cenobites are after him and he has to get away. Oh, yeah, that's At right. At this point, I feel like even as an audience, we saw that he opened the box and they teleported from fucking nowhere into that room to rip him apart. Yeah. 
why would we or he think that like I'll just get to Pittsburgh and then it's all clear like they can't <laughs> yeah, find me yeah. anymore. <laughs> he just has to leave the box somewhere, right? Was that what it was? Or does he have No, the box? he just is like oh, I oh, need to get right. away he, from he him. He needs to keep the box so that they can never find him. Uh and this is exp- I guess I could explain it with the other ones, but I don't really want to try. I don't right know. Now. I'm not going to try. Uh, we're, we're thinking of this best. only as a one-off for this this movie. Yeah, just within mm. this, just no within context the, after com- because they didn't know. <laughs> just within the complete lack of logic of this movie, John. <laughs> yes, it'll never make sense <laughs> until they George Lucas it later. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Frank's like, "All right, I got that box. Uh, they're not going to find me, or they're catching up to me. But whatever, they can't cross state lines. Doesn't matter." Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, he's got the Amish if he gets to Pittsburgh, right? I think they're somewhere around there. And they're yeah, like, Pennsylvania, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Cenobites don't fuck with the Amish. <laughs> yeah, Everybody anyway, knows yeah. that. Um, they, can't yeah. op- they can't open a puzzle box. It's too much technology. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're yeah. Not, yeah, they don't want to touch that. But what, it's uh, got what springs in it. Frank doesn't really count on. <laughs> Super advanced shit. <laughs> um, it's just- Hold on, is this the second time we crapped on the Amish? Yes, it is. Who did we crap on the Amish? It was we a died. joke that we made a couple episodes ago when we were talking about like being like making fun of people who would never know about it. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, we can just trash the Amish on this podcast because no Amish are ever going to listen to this podcast. So bad the, when the Amish decide to allow podcasts, it's going to be bad. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, unless someone prints them a transcript, I think we're okay. They're going to read the Hellraiser episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, a movie they can't. Can't see. They want to hear the podcast about it. Uh, yeah, it could be described <laughs> in ways that they can tolerate. But do you um, think? Yeah. Do you think they print it off, or do you think they have a guy that stands in town oh, and he reads it. it for them, like the they crowd. do us as characters? Oh, probably. Yeah, that'd be awesome. They yeah. put on like I a like little that. community theater production. <laughs> Tonight's production is episode <laughs> an Hellraiser <laughs> and scene. Uh. <laughs> Um, All yeah. right, uh, Frank's the, coming back. Where do we leave off? Uh, he had the he has the he has the box. What's in the box? He, does, he has the box. Yes, and uh, we don't he, really know that he has the box until Kirsty picks it up later. Oh yeah, but it, I guess it's just sitting there, and Julia never paying attention. Uh, every time he, every time Julia brings home one of these guys, he can't see. They don't see Frank. Because there's always no. like a little bit of a tense standoff where they're like, "What the fuck? Like, why are like, we? Why in isn't this there a room? bed in this room? What's going yeah. on here?" One guy, yeah. she even is like, he's like, oh, on the floor? No, not that attic floor. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> rusty nails on bad hardwood floor with mold. Like, you would that think guy, blood. he wants it too much, yeah. Considering that we find out Julia is only at home all of the time getting men killed, um, you would think she would take maybe an hour to dig through the boxes where she hides the bodies, maybe put a rug down, maybe pull out a lamp. Yeah, some just furniture to make yeah. it seem like a room. All she can think about is that Try to dick. sell it. She's it. honestly yeah. like the worst liar <laughs> ever in <laughs> any of the moments where, and these guys are just drunk enough to believe her. <laughs> it doesn't, and or desperate enough, uh, <laughs> either way. But that one, the first guy is like, I've never done this before. And she's like, well, there's a first time for everything. But she says it in like a terrible way, just like I did. Yeah. And he's like, suppose you're right <laughs> and it's like there's no hesitation of like that was fucking weird why would you say it that way <laughs> she's also you mentioned that she's home all the time she's constantly wearing like 80s power business suits oh, yeah. but she just seems yeah. to not have a job and she just hangs out at home and just likes to dress that way i guess it seems very strange yeah 
I don't know. There's a lot of, we could question a lot of decisions by several characters. <laughs> this movie. Um, I, I but like Frank is seemingly invisible in that room. And then later, <laughs> yes. later at a point, I think it's when Larry comes in, he's just like in the corner and he immediately sees him. Like, yeah. He's very obvious at that point. Yeah. <laughs> he's like trying to hide, but yeah. Anyway, um, more or less the plot here in the middle is just that, right? Frank is rebuilding. Julia's bringing him that. There's really not anything else that's relevant uh, until this this really shoddy, really quickly filmed, obviously scene at a Chinese restaurant where Larry <laughs> and Kirsty have a conversation where Larry confides in Kirsty that like something's not working with Julia. Like it's it's weird, but he doesn't really know why because yeah. he pays no attention to anything that's going on around him. Uh, he's oblivious to it. Well, this mm. is like right after that really long scene where she tries to prevent him from discovering Frank and Frank runs across the hallway to their bedroom. I think that's later, oh, that, but either way, be, like we can talk he, about it. He yeah. like turns away and he's Maybe like, I don't right. understand you. I just don't understand you. And he there's like, like lightning the going on yeah, and she's and pretending she's afraid of thunder. Cause yeah. this is after she's yeah. killed several men. She's been home long enough. And then he's watching a boxing match and he's like, if this is too violent for you, I can change it. We could do anything else. And she's like, no, it's not the worst thing. I've well, seen. he's, he's watching like mimicking the guys <laughs> yeah. on TV. He's like, Ooh, like, you know, wincing and <laughs> grinning with every punch. Like, Oh, we can watch something else if you want. It's not like I'm not really into this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I boxed in college. <laughs> <laughs> uh, had to quit after one fight. <laughs> um, yeah, and like like Frank just gets bloodthirsty and just wants to kill like Larry and starts making a bunch of noise. So she's like trying to distract Larry from going up there and like just throws herself at him. And uh, yeah, and then like basically then he's like, all right. And so he doesn't go upstairs and starts like fucking her. But then she's like, no, no, you have to stop. And he's Larry's like very confused because well, yeah, yeah, Frank because, is like, like watching from the closet and then he yeah, comes out behind them. He comes them. downstairs and starts spying on them. I guess he doesn't want yeah. them to fuck. No, yeah, he, yeah. he goes to like the, uh, yeah, he ran to their closet and then while they're on the bed fucking or about to fuck, he comes out with a rat and skins it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> he like just cuts like the rat. And, and she's like, no, no. And the weird part is that Larry doesn't stop. Like, I oh, don't Larry understand. Is, yeah. Larry has not gotten laid in a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she literally, yes. Bound to she determine. lays there. Yeah. yeah. She, she's there and says like, no, I can't do that. I won't do that. Like the whole time. And Larry's not paying any attention. Uh, yeah. And then finally he's an like, autopilot. oh, you're hot. Then you're cold. I don't know what's going on. And then he's, yeah. he's upset it's, about it's it. It's like a commercial for something. <laughs> I just don't understand. Has this ever happened to you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's so, yeah. right. Okay. And then, then he has then a dinner with Kirsty yeah. in the Chinese restaurant, which apparently they just... I, it was so, it's like the one other location we have that's not this house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, though I do for, at some point in the middle of all this crap, Julia sees a weird fucking dude, like, staring at her at one point uh, oh, when she's yeah. making out with Steve after the party, and then later she Oh, Kirsty does. Kirstie does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kirstie Kirstie does, yeah. Homeless uh, guy, right? It's, yeah, uh, and the then... Vagrant, l- vagrant. And then later she, I guess she works at a pet shop, <laughs> and yep. she sees the dude in the pet shop and he just straight up has his hand in like all of the crickets and yeah. is eating them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And she's like him. wide eyed staring at Kirsty. Yes. Yeah. yeah looking her in. Uh, she's, she goes to kind of chase him out. Steve comes in and distracts her for a moment and she turns around and he's gone. And Steve's like, what is it? What is it? She's like, man, nothing again. 
you wouldn't be like this fucking weird ass homeless dude was in here right. eating crickets. Yeah. Why would I talk about that? Earlier. Yeah, that's not important. It's eh, he's gone. Whatever. Dude who looks like he's covered in tar. <laughs> like yeah. it's just out of I just what in the world is going on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's completely he bizarre. Has like next to he has no dialogue if I remember correctly, but he no. shows no, up none, a yeah. few times and it's like okay, every mm -hmm. time all right, I guess he's just supposed to be part of this somehow. Who fucking knows? Yes. Yeah. Uh, every time we see him, we're confused as to why he exists in this movie. It's that dream logic, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Uh, um, there's so real, then, yeah, real quick, I guess, one thing before we get to the dinner at the Chinese restaurant, there's one, one time after Julia brings a man back to the house and Frank like kills him and eats, sucks his blood. They show him just sitting there smoking a cigarette. I'm like, your entire body is an open wound. Why are you smoking a cigarette? That seems like the worst <laughs> possible idea. Just you're going to get infected all over the place. <laughs> yeah, that can't be good. <laughs> well, I guess he'll just he heal with the next guy, right? Like, I, the, I guess he, I he said at one point that his nerves are adapting and he's starting to feel pain. Yeah, he again. feels pain. Again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Aside here, this is like somewhere in the middle of all this. I kind of realized I was like, this movie isn't what I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. Um, which honestly, I don't think to someone who went to see Hellraiser in 1987 had any set of expectations, but I would think a modern audience would be like, Oh, pinhead, senior bites, something where they come from another dimension. This movie is about, a corpse like eating other people yeah that's most of the movie yeah mm -hmm. and the the horror element is just how horrible he looks and the sort of like somewhat psychological of julia becoming more and more of a murderer and more obsessed with continuing to push frank to come back to humanity uh never explain how he comes back or he eats the blood or whatever it is nope or if that even has anything to do with the cenobites right yeah um, yeah but yeah, that's like the core of the movie. It's pretty much just about shock factor. Yeah. Yeah, there's like, a lot of that. In So yeah, now to, to pause to that. In the Chucky movie, in Child's Play, it's explained that the murderer, Brad Dorif, I don't remember what his real name is, the, the character other than Chucky, had learned this spell and then he used the spell to be able to put him into another body and he can do it right. We kind of get this core a little bit like a sci-fi enough like rules to operate in what's going on and why. And even with like Freddy Krueger, there's, you know, he terrorized these people back in the day and then he put a curse on them to get their children within their dreams. And he told them all that and we all know and there's rules of like when he can get you and when he can't. There's none of that. And I don't even think it comes back in the other Hellraiser movies. There's no explanation other than if you open the puzzle box, Cenobites show up. It's not clear what closing it or not what that does. Mm -hmm. No idea why Frank can bring himself back from the dead or later communicate with people from beyond or any like, yeah. no. Or like what the Cenobites gain from any of this? Like why they do this at all? You know, it's just, Yeah. Are yeah. they really demons? Are they from hell? Who made the box? Are, how do you mm -hmm. find oh, well, out? We find out who made the box, right? Well, later. All right. But I mean, within this, within this stupid <laughs> yeah, movie. No sequels, <laughs> John. <laughs> it, this comes back up more in the second one, but I like the idea that like, Somehow somebody knows about the box, right? For Frank to be like, oh, I've got to go find this box. It's pain and pleasure all mixed together. It's amazing. Yep. It's the next thing I need. Who <laughs> who survived the box to write down <laughs> Good point. Yeah. about the box 
They have some like eternal, to use it. eternal entity that's just scrawling it on bathroom walls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some kind I of guess. Bubba so, Hotep. <laughs> yeah, I guess the Cenobites want out, so they like leak information to yeah, try to get people it, drawn to it. I don't know, but seemingly Ooh, yeah, so it does. There's like scenes where they're meeting up with the journalists and yeah, they're handing off to the Washington <laughs> Post. <laughs> like deep throat in, in the parking yeah, garage. Deep throat meeting in a parking garage. <laughs> oh God. Um, there does seem to be a certain amount yeah when Kirsty has it later she just sort of like mindlessly is pulled to it and starts to play with it a couple times so I guess there is a little bit of like There's an it wants you to open it it has some kind of allure tied to it but who's that was like who's keeping track of all this stuff and writing it down that's like, uh, the, uh, was it? That's yeah. like the ring of power right like the ring of power isn't like a thing that's living necessarily but it always like brings you to it yeah, it draws what you to it. Like, yeah. yeah, you're like okay, sure. so shiny. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's as if if you put on the ring, you instantly die, and everyone that's ever worn the ring before is dead. Right, instantaneously, and it draws you in, and you know about it, and you're seeking out this ring. <laughs> like, how do you know that it kills people when they put it on? Yeah. Um, I guess maybe you. All right, it's not fair. Someone watched. You don't know what the pleasure box. they might be experiencing when it's, they put on that ring. It's falling apart. Yeah. yeah. Do Anyways. they get you if if you're next to somebody that opens the box? Do they get ripped apart and you're just like, oh hey, I didn't. You just I have to stand there. And watch. Like, it's okay. <laughs> hey man, I'm yeah. just holding it for a friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, like we. What is it? Uh, the the other thing is that Christy. I guess if you're in the general relational proximity of the box in some way like you know somebody who has it or you somehow are in real like near it you'll like start to have dreams about it or bad dreams about things and that's where the cool shit happens in this movie so there's that one scene where Kirsty's like dreaming about um that like her dad her dad dead on a table with like all these feathers oh, yeah, coating like the him blood. and there's like a baby crying baby in the crying, distance yeah. and it's like kind of blood illuminated and yeah. all this other just visually Did the cool box cause that she I, was in her apartment yeah. with Steve Lang. Steve was on another unclear. It seems like too vivid a dream to be just a natural thing, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, she saw the, the dude who eats crickets, the cricket eater. Uh, and then she had like the dreams about things after that. And he's somehow tied to the box because he's he like was, maybe he pterodactyl at the end or whatever the fuck. <laughs> 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 Sorry, spoilers. Yeah, uh, he was maybe he was pushing her to seek this out. I guess. Like, yeah, because yeah. she got she became concerned. They felt too much like premonitions of something, and you got a chance to do some visually cool shit that was really dark and like, oh man, kind of creepy with these baby cries and stuff. Um, and so she was like, I got to go check on my dad, and that's what set up I think her and her dad meeting up for that dinner. And him being like, you know, your stepmother's acting real strange. And she's like, okay, well, I can come check in on her. That's fine. That was another one of those Larry's paying attention to nothing that's going on. Julia gets up out of the bed in the middle of the night and goes up to Frank. And then Larry gets a call from Kirsty and goes and answers it. It doesn't realize that, that Julia's like gone or yeah. anything. Yeah. He answers that uh, phone so yeah. to like so expecting of it. I don't know why I thought he'd be more mad that it's in the middle of the night or something. Or confused <laughs> or yeah, yeah. Like he's just like, yeah. hmm, Hey, who is it? <laughs> so after meeting at the Chinese restaurant, mm-hmm. he tells Kirsty, Larry tells Kirsty, like, Hey, you should try to just, just go by the house because Julie has nothing to do. Uh, and just like, she wants to make 
good with you. We have no reason to believe that. I have no reason why Larry <laughs> believes that. Um, and just try to be friends. Like, let's try to make it work. And maybe, you know, that'll help somehow help Larry and Julia's relationship. <laughs> uh, so Kirstie shows up and just in time to see Julia pulling in another <laughs> random dude from a bar. Uh, I guess Kirstie would assume that she's cheating. And instead of like just going and telling Larry or I don't know. They seem kind of flirty and handsy with each other. Like, oh, yeah. Standing on the door. So I think it's a safe assumption. It's a safe Mm -hmm. assumption. But instead of like just, oh, that happened and then leaving, she like sneaks into the house. Right. To sneak into the house. Yeah. Yeah, That that wasn't enough evidence. You got to keep going. Yep. Yeah. Again, horror movie logic. Yeah. I guess call her out in front of her. I don't know. So then and in doing that, she bumps into Julia and then into the attic where uh, she sees the corpse and sees Frank, uh, who uh, it talks to Julie to to a uh, Kirstie really weird where he's like, come to daddy and all uh, this yeah. weird shit that he says to her. Mm-hmm. You remember bit, your I was Uncle like, Frank. <laughs> yeah, I really for a second was like, oh, are we going to get a flashback where he like raped Kirstie too or something? Yeah. It seems we, like there's some weird fucked up history there that they don't really tell us about. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, don't say, but it's weird. Yeah, and, and we get a slow reveal of Frank for Kirsty's kind of experience because she sees the corpse kind of try to... It's like the dude's half alive, sort of, and stumbles out. And is like, help me, and his whole mouth and jaw and everything's starting to disfigure. Everybody that gets um, sucked dry by Frank is... <laughs> wow. <laughs> is contorted into this weird puddle of goopy man flesh, and their mouth just is like... like <laughs> the whole time. That's what I imagine they would be saying. Uh and like Kirstie's like freaked out by that, but extends her hand to help him because she's a good person. And then it's like revealed around the corner. Frank comes out and is like, "Yeah, hey, come to daddy. Yeah, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> it gives him way more fun than he is. He's a fucking asshole. Um, but yeah, <laughs> she's just like, no, like, doesn't she get, does she get pulled into the room? That's what happens, right? Because it's one of those like horror movie bullshit where instead of like running downstairs or whatever she goes into the room like yeah of course mm-hmm. that's how she tries to escape because she doesn't right. think so good under pressure uh, exactly <laughs> like, let me run into this room with no exits we run into the room that <laughs> frank came out of <laughs> there's no way it could be a trap <laughs> um yeah and the door gets closed and she is like getting backed into a corner by frank and julia at the same time right i think just frank just yeah frank. okay um, uh yeah. And she picks up the puzzle box. Just it happens to be sitting there. We as an audience had no clue it was still there. Yep. Or probably have forgotten about it by this point. She picks it up and Frank immediately recoils and is like, give it to me. Don't, you know. Yeah. Don't look at me. Don't 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 mess me. <laughs> don't look at me. Give me this box. Uh, which I like. She's like, oh, you want it? And then she throws it out the window in the back, which is covered with like newspaper. This whole house. This room from the inside is so shitty. It's like covered up with newspaper clipping, yeah. like glued over it. It's like the Zodiac uh, yeah. Killer's room. <laughs> it's just yeah. nobody cares yes. that it's there. Uh, I want to say just real in quick, case we need a serial killer to stay upstairs. Let's yeah, keep it. Rent it out to serial killers <laughs> <Yeah>. only. <laughs> um, yeah, like the, I want to say real quick the. Um, taunting that happens like there's characters in the hellraiser franchise that just become out of nowhere badasses for one line or two and then immediately (laughs) drop that and run 
And uh, Christie's no different, but like her delivery of you want this and then immediately you want it. And then she chucks it out a window. I was like that <laughs> completely kidding. deflated everything for me. I that thought was- she was going to chuck it at his face. And it's like, oh, yeah, she's going to go on the offensive here. But like, no, nah, she just threw it out the window. Nah, yeah. And, and it reminded me of there's somebody who delivers a line similar to that in another movie. And it was like, you want it? Take it. Take it. And that was all I thought about when I saw that scene. So I like. It just deflated it for me. I was like, oh, I wish you wouldn't have said anything or been like, fuck you. John is surprised by the lack of original dialogue in Hellraiser. <laughs> Let it be known. <laughs> I went to Juilliard. <laughs> uh, anyways. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Kirstie she runs out into the street. Runs right? outside and yeah, picks the box back up, I guess, knowing that it has something to do with Frank. Uh yeah, the Frank box to her. <laughs> runs around. She runs through nuns, she, like, doesn't she? Yeah, she runs through a couple yeah, of yeah. nuns. Who <laughs> look at her yeah. judgingly. I just wrote down in my notes, nuns? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> yeah. like, you're reminding me of Vertigo where the nun just shows up at the end all of a sudden for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, the, those nuns did not help at all. No, <laughs> no sympathy for her. Um, she passes out. She starts to like, vibrate. Uh, violently and then just passes out on the floor with a cube in her hands and like a group of strangers are like is she okay i guess she's okay let's send her to the hospital um and that's where the next scene basically just she wakes right up in that hospital in an alleged hospital that looks Uh, much more like a prison than it does a hospital this hospital and the bedside manner of the doctor and the nurse here was so bizarre especially when oh my god yeah i initially like the the she gets up and is like scrambling around. The nurse is like, "Oh, you're awake. I'll go get the doctor." Uh, and the puzzle the nurse box is, is just sitting there. Yeah. And the nurse is sitting there, just in like a folding chair, watching a little TV very close to it. And the TV is just showing a picture Flowers of a flower blooming. bloom. Yeah. And so yeah. she's, "Oh, okay, you're here. All right." And it's like, "What's happening to me? Let me go get the doctor." No, I need to know what's happening to me. I'll just be a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She brings in Doctor Nick. hi everybody (laughs) yes he's like tries to get her to lay back down and then begins to tell her like she's like i need to call my dad or something like that and he's like yeah yeah later later exactly what you tell a patient like yeah don't worry about getting any family members or anything Mm. we need to yeah you need to go back just chill out relax in this windowless hospital room (laughs) on this old metal folding bed yeah it looks like she's in like the psych ward on shutter island or something (laughs) right right exactly He says something about she needs to fight, like tell him what happened or something. The police are going to come question her. Like he insinuates about the police coming and is like, hey, what was this box? You better find out when the police come and ask you. And then he leaves and locks the door. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) She can't get out. They can lock from the outside. And I 100 percent at this point, like even Darla was like, what the fuck? Like, what's going on with this this hospital or whatever? And I was like, oh, this must be the like Cenobites tricking her into opening the box. I was convinced yeah. that that was what it was until it's later revealed like, no, that, that was just a hospital. Yeah. That's legitimately just a hospital. And this is where like the, the aspect of me earlier saying that this is like Italian horror. This feels like Italian horror in a way, because it's like the, uh, when I watch Suspiria, it doesn't look like a dance school that they're in. <laughs> it looks like sure, it was constructed yeah. right. for pieces of the narrative and certain visuals to be here. And this hospital room is very suspect to that um, because, as we will find out soon, uh, the wall was a door. Uh, the wall was just a big old door that's waiting to open yeah. up whenever that box opens. 
Um, and that with being locked in there with nothing else to do and a TV with just flowers blooming on it, uh, Kirsty does what any sane person would do and just plays with the box, which everybody seems it, to know how to open this box. In this it movie. is mm-hmm. not much of a puzzle. Yeah, no. you call it a puzzle. It's more like a what, like a three three sixty yeah, degree like two, turn three, with your yeah. thumb. And then, like, one other thing it, that you push in. And that's yeah. Like, yeah. The it longest like it takes you, anyone you to it, figure it, it out. You like, turn it and you put it back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 20 seconds. It's, I want to <laughs> see, like, a televised version of, like, it's like the Rubik's Cube solve here. Um, but it's, like, the fastest person to open the Hellraiser cube. <laughs> and they just immediately explode into blood on screen. That's, like, all that it is. <laughs> they run the timer. <laughs> like, oh, my God, he did it. Here comes the next guy. Let's see if he can do it. <laughs> if he can beat his time. <laughs> Point eight seconds. It's like um, that, that interdimensional cable where those like aliens are running at that wall and they explode oh, yeah. and splatter all the over. Gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> yeah. And the refs yeah, are yeah. like measuring the size of the splatter <laughs> to determine exactly. the winner. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, the puzzle box. I, yeah. Yeah. So again, probably not any new knowledge in the later movies, but the concept of this puzzle box is like, it's cool. Like I like that, this thing that you open, but to me it would make sense if you have to go above and beyond to open this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, you're pushing yourself and you're stepping further and further in to allow them in. Right. That you, it's your own fault, right? Like you went to all the trouble to do it. You pushed, you have no reason when they show up to like renege on the deal. Yeah. It was so complicated for you to get there. You had to be making the choice. Yeah. Not the, a dog could accidentally set the puzzle box <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> this is like government security for like yeah. health websites kind of shit. <laughs> you could just like anybody could get in. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Thumbs optional. I, yeah. I can see it from the Cenobites point of view though, where they're like, look, we need more people. Just make it really easy. Yeah. <laughs> like humans are so stupid. Like you got to make it easy. We had a hard puzzle for a thousand years. Nobody opened it. It's got to got to lower the bar. <laughs> but yeah, from a, like a story point, story standpoint, it, it would seem to me that like there's no themes here yeah. no. beyond the idea that the Cenobites mix pain and pleasure. But like, and I guess Frank wants that. Yeah. And horniness. There's a theme of horniness. Yeah. I mean, like in every horror movie, the theme is that if you're horny, you get punished. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Right. If you're naughty, you are punished. (laughs) Of course, we all know. (laughs) But like within Friday the 13th, it's established that the. He dies, Jason dies because the campers are having sex and not paying attention. Yeah. Right. So there's mm. at least like initially a version. It's long since been forgotten in the lore of, of horror movies. Right. And that's just the trope. But at least that made sense. Like and in and in Halloween, there's this a little bit of like the babysitter myth and the guy coming there or whatever. And the, the fact that like Lori is innocent compared to some of her other right. There's sort of like yeah. there are themes that are there in the good horror movies. What are themes, <laughs> Ryan? <laughs> yes. That that I feel like Hellraiser I would think would have, but does does not. No, it mm-hmm. seems like an excuse to do cool practical effects. Yep, really. right. And I'm which I'm they so are. Here they for are. Yeah. Well, speaking I mean, honestly, of cool practical effects, yeah, when, yeah. when Kirsty does open that box and the cement wall just comes open like the fucking Red Sea, there's a massive evil shrimp that just starts sprinting at her <laughs> yeah. and trying to eat her. 
Oh my god! And you can see behind it is a massive evil dolly that is pushing it. <laughs> yes. The lights flash. Uh, I think they knew the effects on this was like good in some parts, not in others. So they're trying to do a little bit of that, like put it in some shadow and cut yeah, like away the, constantly. Put the T Rex in rain, you know? Uh, yeah, that kind of. Situation. But enough, enough that if you'd ask me right afterwards to draw on a piece of paper what exactly this thing was, I have no idea. Like, how was it moving? Where exactly was its head? Yeah, what was on it had top? A face like, was it like a scorpion kind of? On the end of the shrimp tail. It looked like a shrimp tail that was like sentient and huge. Yeah. And it had right. like a weird gnarly face making all these awful like painful faces. And it was just moving its limbs very fast, but it, it didn't look like his limbs were actually moving him forward. They were just kind of spazzing yeah, all over kinda the like place. They were kind of like little quad arms. They were trying to do <laughs> like the, yeah, they're trying to push past the wall. Like they were trying to go for that, but because of how short the arms were, it was more like, its momentum was being carried solely by swimming through the air. Yeah. <laughs> uh, much like a giant mutant shrimp would, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it does pull off the effect of like, oh my God, what the fuck is this thing? Yeah. You know, it's coming at her or whatever. Like again, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not even, and you're at that point, I don't even know if as an audience member, you're like, is this a Cenobite or whatever they're talking about? How would this thing even know that you took a box? It looks like all it wants to do is run forward in a corridor. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, to me, that thing looked like it was begging for death. Like it just honestly was mm. like, Kirsty, help me. <laughs> just me. put me out of the misery. <laughs> Every moment I live is agony. <laughs> it was the Hans Molman of that dimension. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 29 years old. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> so Kirsty, like immediately Indiana Jones is it through that. Yeah, and like mucks with a puzzle box and it closes that wall. Yeah, It's never entirely clear if that was like the puzzle box opens multiple dimensions or what. She figures Um, out how to use this puzzle box so quickly, like to make it do whatever she wants to do. There's no rule book or anything or like any way for her to figure this out. But like this is the first moment where she uses it to stop one of the bad guys. And then all of a sudden she can just make the box do whatever the fuck she wants. Like everybody in the movie so far has only opened the box to horrible consequences. And now she can just use it to like fuck with the Cenobites. And I I don't know. It, it seems yeah. very strange to me that all of a sudden this thing that seems to be a tool of evil fucking with people she's just like no i figured out how to use it against you guys with no explanation at all oh yeah i mean she doesn't have to go to a library there's no reading about Bob. yeah Wolf. there's no mystical <laughs> old book that she looks at her and you know there's nothing the ancients yeah. used to call him <laughs> <laughs> you're right like that would exactly in a, in a good horror that would be the moment here where she and steve go find out about the thing because she's found it yeah. and it got a little weird she and talks she to some Frank weird old guy and reads some books at the library and yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, took, versus took my immediately brother. going back. Yeah, or she finds some like she goes through Frank's stuff and finds some information about it or something like Stop that. Stop fixing yeah. this movie, guys. <laughs> uh, on, on that, it doesn't. I didn't even think about it till now. As you bring up this stupidity, but you you hold the box and you open it, and then the Cenobites appear. But that same box can like disintegrate and or send them back to their dimension, oh, right? Yeah. Or close off the portals. Yeah, you're still holding, right? See, I, th- I think that I guess they, they rip you apart, and you're if you're ripped apart so fast, you don't realize what's going on. You drop the box, but it seems like a bad design. It's like, yep, 
I can bring you in. Oh, I can send you back. Like someone could just sit there and fuck with them. Mm-hmm. I think that somehow, for some reason, they they probably you know this is probably one of those plot holes or not even plot holes. This this is a hole in the Cenobite process. Okay, they need to fix this up at headquarters. Um, that basically. They just rely on people being scared so shitless of opening the box and what they end up seeing um, that they won't even think about closing the box so that it might even do anything. And uh, that's where the Cenobites really underestimate humanity because we can think under pressure most times, maybe. Uh, (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, it it might as well be like a light switch, though. They like flip it, Cenobites appear, flip it off, they're gone. Like, okay, whoa, the fuck did that? What was that? She also seems to do the same thing with the box every time. Sometimes it brings on terror and sometimes it sends it away. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes... I don't fucking know. Later, sometimes the box turns into other boxes, and then you have to solve that. What do you do? (laughs) I guess you solve it, because you always know. John, no sequels. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But this Uh, is... uh, So then after she sends off whatever the fuck that thing was and closes the wall, mm -hmm. we get our hot, hot pinhead action. This is the, like, prime... This is what you came for. The Cenobites appear, and... (laughs) uh, begin telling her of the pleasures that they're going to make her feel by ripping her apart or whatever. He, he give- says like we are explorers at the far end of experience. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting turn of phrase. I was like, wow. Yeah, they say some weird shit. Yeah, so uh-huh. we get to a little bit of a zoom in on each one is slightly highlighted. Yeah, because we got we Pinhead, have, uh, we got Jawline. Yeah, a guy that's just a mouth. He looks uh, almost like Alien a got, little bit. Yeah, we, I call him Chatterbox. Yeah. He's always like, hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Yes, exactly. He's the comic uh, relief. I love when that guy shows up. Yeah, we have what appears maybe to be female version with her like throat ripped open and some like oh, yeah. also metal <laughs> stuff on her head. I kept trying to think of a name and I really just couldn't. It, none of it yeah, really I don't fit know. together. And and then the one that I said was the Duke from Dune. That's <laughs> yes. just a fucking yep. fat one Stone in the Scar's corner. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's just a fat one in the corner that does nothing. Like sometimes he looks around. <laughs> like, eh. Later he takes off his sunglasses. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, he wears sunglasses for the whole time, and then later at the very end of the movie, he takes them off, and his eyelids are sewn shut. Yeah, he really <laughs> was not didn't, expecting that. He didn't see yeah. his death coming, I guess either. So. <laughs> Which they do as if a reveal, like it matters in a movie where you've seen like a man without his skin for 80 minutes. Right. And like hooks going and tearing skin like over and over again and all that. And then it's like, oh, a guy takes his sunglasses off. Very close too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. And it's like this thing takes its sunglasses off. It's like. Right. Well, I like, I bet one person in the audience, Ryan, uh, not clapped several times, but clapped once and went, I knew it. Like that's, I knew he didn't have <laughs> yeah, eyes. I knew it. This motherfucker was just as ugly underneath the glasses. Only blind people wear sunglasses inside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> blind people and douchebags. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, uh, yeah. They don't immediately rip her apart. Yeah, they have a conversation where where yeah they let her bargain for a, a little deal. bit. Yeah. Where she's like, no, 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 I didn't want to get ripped apart. I'm not, I'm not in for this. Uh, also, Frank got away from you, uh, which she knows 
How? How? <laughs> yeah. Because they had the box. They explained that uh, she was like, I know who had this box, I guess. And she's, I guess she's making some assumptions there. She's like, That's look, a there's a, a fleshless man jump. in the yeah. a- Oh, I'm sorry. A fleshless man in the attic with a box that summons demons is a real big jump to jaw it back to him. <laughs> <laughs> the box. Okay. But that they would be interested in Frank or anything. Oh, I don't yeah. know. Like, it I, is she's a bit really of a grasping leap. at straws. Yeah. Or that Frank yeah. was their prisoner before. Like, it's an assumption that you could make and like, but it's definitely a risk her guessing that well she asks if they killed frank and they say yes with glee they kind of are like yeah we we showed him new levels of suffering and then she's Mm. like well he got he's not dead he's not dead yet (laughs) so then they kind of give a shit to upset them yeah they appear to give a crap about that like oh we were supposed to finish him off yeah Uh, i do like that they insinuate they're like all right, take us to Frank. We'll probably still kill you anyway. Like they right. Pirate yeah. Roberts, sir. <laughs> yeah. We'll kill you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So very, yes, they. Yeah. It buys they agreed time. to follow her. Yeah, back to Frank again. Not sure why they can't just teleport to Frank it, once they're out. Can really? they only go where the box is, though? I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the Cenobite physics and is. And they can. They can appear, rip you apart. And then the contract is over and they have to go back to their dimension and they can't just come back until someone else opens the box. I'm sure they fuck like, around yeah. with other people, right? I mean, I, they gotta, I don't know. <laughs> I don't uh, know. I, I will say, oh uh, yeah, later, I, yeah, I have some entertaining comments about what Cenobites do in their time off. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I guess Christy just pretty much is like beelines it back to her house, right? To yeah, get the I, Cenobites to come there. Meanwhile, we have Larry fucking around in his house and Julia. I don't remember how it is that we get back there, but well, somehow Larry finds Frank, right? They decide, did did he really, he did find Frank? Because I thought what happened was that, oh, well, when he or finds Frank. comes Frank, out and gets him because, or whatever. Because there's a cutaway from whatever happens. He is just like, well, I guess I'm going to go deal with Frank. And then uh, they, they like cut away from that entirely and they don't care anymore. Um, but he like comes home to find Julie and Julie's like, you have to see something. Yeah. She's leading him into oh, Frank. Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. As, and as his final victim. Yeah. So that yeah, Frank he just needs, take a scan. He needs one more body apparently. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he knows that. And I agree seemingly so far, nothing has satiated his need. Yeah. And, and you would think like he keeps like getting a little bit more human every time he drinks somebody's blood. And I was thinking, oh, he's just gonna like turn back into his old self, but he was just never getting that skin back apparently. So he just took Larry's skin and just put it on himself. And it, you, there's like some blood around his hairline. <laughs> it's it's really like, bad you did a really good job of sewing his skin onto your body very quickly. Yeah. And like, yeah, there's still some blood there to clean up, but like, man, that's a, it's a pretty good job there, Frank. <laughs> I also got the feel here that like in the short story, there was supposed to be the like, surprising reveal that the Larry that we see now is Frank wearing Larry's skin. Yeah. Mm. But it's so obvious from a movie perspective. It's like blatantly obvious. Like they walk in and then you don't get shots. You get all these shots from behind until you see that it's Larry. But I can't imagine he's got blood all over him. And I can't imagine anywhere that audience saying weird shit to Kirsty and you're like, oh yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, the reveal is that he starts saying the weird shit like come to daddy and all the stuff that Mm. he was saying as Frank earlier. And Uh, the one chance those cards for long either. (laughs) Yeah, I know shit about that. (laughs) Yeah, this is the one chance for our our Larry actor to do something decent. Like Mm. (laughs) he actually hams it up here and like does his like evil. I, I like that he got some to, of that dirty hairy shit. Yeah, yeah, he got something here that was much better. Um, 
So this is where I was going to say at, at some point here, Kirsty brings back the Cenobites. Yep. And then she comes out and we have this like standoff with her and Frank in, inside Larry's skin. And the Cenobites just hang out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> sitting there counting down like how many minutes we don't see them that I was like, they're just up there like playing cards or yeah. like how long are they like staring at their watch where they're like, is she really coming back? <laughs> like, she said it would be a minute, but it's I, been five minutes. When is it okay to go back outside and see if she's ready yet? I like, imagine they're just fucking whenever they're not on screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Time for pain like, and pleasure simultaneously uh, while we wait. <laughs> yeah, they just got distracted. I love the thought of cause cause she wanders into the room and sees the body and then she turns she thinks that it's Frank, right? Initially, the flayed body. That's she upstairs. sees the flayed body and, and thinks that like, that's Frank's body. Yeah, and they're like, "You, you didn't bring him to us or whatever." And she's like, "What are you talking about? He's right there." Like, and they're like, "We want the one who did this." And she's like, "You're not going to get my dad. Like, he did it. I know he did." Blah blah blah. And like, she runs yeah, yeah. back to her dad, and that's when we get the whole plot reveal. Like, oh, okay, here's the twist. But I like to imagine the moment that door shuts, Pinhead's like. Did what I say sound as cool as I thought it did? <laughs> <laughs> yes, master. <laughs> yeah. Um, Should I have just said this isn't Frank? Like, yeah. did it, was it clear Shit, enough? was it too cryptic? <laughs> 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 she overreacted a bit more than I thought she would. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so they, yeah. So then she fights with Larry Frank, Larry slash Frank, Frary. which she like, scratches him and it immediately like rips away the skin like this yeah. is not gonna mm. last it's not which then i was yeah i was like oh julia thought like julia and frank thought this was gonna work that <laughs> well they didn't think a whole lot of things out because they're trying to go to pittsburgh still uh with several yeah. corpses <laughs> in the attic and now a dead husband um that has a job presumably that uh would be interested in where he's been and trying to get in touch with him. But maybe, he's but. he looks like Larry now. He can just quit and use Larry's oh, credit cards. True, and yeah. then no one will wonder why nobody gives a the shit house is Frank, full of bodies. So, yeah. But yeah, no yeah. one knew Frank was gone, so whatever. Yeah. Uh yeah, no, it's not yeah, I don't understand. And then if you touch him in any way or he bumps into something, his skin will rip off. Well to be fair, that <laughs> happened to Larry as well. So I guess he'll boy. just get He'll just get new skin, whatever he needs. Like, right? He'll just be perpetually stealing people's skin forever. Yeah. yeah. He'll be, and if this movie were to keep going and he were to survive, he would just turn into a Frankenstein monster at some point down the line with just patches of random people's skin. Yeah, different all over people, him. different hobos he's killed over the mm -hmm. years. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's a switch so they, paid killer or whatever. No, different desperate yeah. businessmen looking for Poontang. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's, oh, God, they got a type. Oh, well, I didn't think that I would see dangerous men surface and <laughs> something, yeah. but here it is. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so somehow Kirsty and Frank end up back in the attic, which the Cenobites are not in there. Seemingly, they had to go to the bathroom for a minute. I, sh I should so they say, first, Frank kills Julia and then sacrifices oh, her yeah, to himself. He, like, absorbs her. They're, like, fighting. The fighting on the stairs with Kirsty. He goes to stab Kirsty. Kirsty pulls Julia in front of, of way. her. Uh, Frank stabs yeah. her. And, then and like, Julia yells, not me! Yeah. <laughs> 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 so like, well, now we know like it's very obvious now she was the only person that she cared about <laughs> yeah right yeah 
Dad's uh, dead, so she's got nothing like, else. Like, it was said with the tone of voice of, like, not Lenny, yeah. like, while yeah. she's not being Lenny. stabbed in the stomach. Not me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and then Frank's like, oopsie doopsie, guess oh, well, I'll absorb yeah. your soul. <laughs> like, yeah. eats Julia. Uh, what about Pittsburgh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And he runs back upstairs, and now he's in the attic with uh Now he's with in Kirstie. the attic. And somehow Kirsty trips over the body of her father and right. Yeah. And, and through them going back and forth, he says that he's Frank, like actually admits that he's Frank. You want Kirsty? It's me, Frank, my social security number. Here's where I live. (laughs) (laughs) Again, like logic wise, this is what the Cenobites wanted. It's implied that by him admitting that he's Frank, I don't know why it matters. He's wearing someone else's skin or not. Like who, why do they care? Yep. <laughs> He's pretending. I guess because he came back from the dead. They want to make sure that that thing that came back. Yeah, you know, the Frank. Cenobites say what you will about them, but their justice system, it's pretty solid. They don't have an honor people system. who are yeah, put away uh, without vetting it first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, innocent yeah. until proven guilty with, <laughs> yes. with the Cenobites. But even then, I'm like, in another better movie, we would know that. And then there mm-hmm. would be this standoff where it wouldn't admit it was Frank and Kirsty had to trick him or something, yep. right? Look, to man. show that our heroine has some, yeah. I mean, she has abilities. She fucking puzzle, fires that puzzle everywhere here in a minute. But otherwise, she's, <laughs> yeah, just, just a person. She's using that thing like a laser blaster with no recoil or no reload time. <laughs> just like, choo, 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 and everybody she sees. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, the okay, I just want to point out this is Clive Barker's cocaine versus Stephen King's cocaine. All right. right. Whatever Clive Barker is getting, <laughs> it's not what Stephen King's getting. It's very apparent. It's harder shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uncut. Yeah. He's like, I don't fucking need all this story structure shit to make sense. Give me all the fucking <laughs> weird shit. Put it in there. <laughs> Get the flayed body of a man as her daughter. <laughs> His daughter <laughs> cries over it. And a man admits to doing it and then it's taken away by demons. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> In a really and then, repeat scene, right? Of uh, bo- his- both of them come off their cocaine high and can't end a movie. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like, like when oh, uh, Kirsty uh, <laughs> is messing around with the box and she turns to Pinhead and like starts messing with the box and he goes, "Don't do that." He <laughs> <laughs> gives away the okay, game. Okay, <laughs> like why would you tell her that? I need you to stop. <laughs> yeah. We were too cryptic before. Stop fucking it up don't, for don't us. Don't touch that. Yes. Um, yeah, because they eviscerate Frank again. And he says, no reason Jesus to- wept. Yeah. In this yeah. very yeah. Willem Dafoe yeah. Spider-Man way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not in a Willem Dafoe Jesus Christ way. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Um, yeah, so yeah, three times we've had Christian imagery that has nothing to do with anything. We just put mm. it in there to Cause it's a horror be movie. weird. Yeah. yeah, just like it's a horror movie. I'm um, sure it made sense at the time, for the writing at least, for Clive Barker's yeah, weird mind. I, he was so <laughs> fucking high that it made sense. A lot of clarifying yeah. clauses <laughs> yeah. in that statement, yeah, That's like all of the, anytime I list one of my favorite uh, sex scenes from a movie, where it's just uh. that overqualification, <laughs> most tastefully shot at a gas station. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they, they, then the Cenobites decide to turn on Kirsty, I guess. And yeah, yeah she has like, the puzzle fun. box. She has the puzzle box, which then they immediately tell her not to d- d- use. They could have just torn her apart and never mentioned it, but 
Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, like, no, 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 don't touch the box. So she, one by one, rotoscopes them back to their <laughs> yes. <laughs> to their yeah, other they just universe. get some weird like Palpatine lightning thrown at them, and then they disappear. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Speaking of Palpatine, at one point somebody says somehow Frank's returned. <laughs> I was like, are you oh, fucking no. kidding me? Even episode nine copied from Hellraiser. Jesus. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, at some point, yeah. I don't remember, Steve comes in. That's at who, the very, after she's, dis, uh, Kirstie's dissipated she's a few different people. A couple right? of them, and then he, yeah, he comes in, and then they get a couple more together. And that's when uh, the Baron, which, or the Duke's right behind him, and she's like, look out behind you. And, and Yeah, she saves him. Yeah, well, and the house is says, falling apart while he's yes. walking Oh, yeah, in there. just starts to <laughs> get wrecked. He says nothing. Like, I went back and yeah. looked. He says nothing, including, like, <laughs> later they leave, and he has n- no, no dialogue. dialogue. He yeah. never. He never is like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> Nothing, dude. I know Nothing. It is. Steve is just like, "All right, let's go for it. Let's take out whatever's going on." I know exactly why. Probably because I heard that at the end of this movie, at the end of the shooting, they started to run out of budget for some of the stuff. Oh yeah, I feel and that. I assume that he was initially cast to be full time actor, and that they relegated him to an extra technically by giving him only like three lines of dialogue in full which is, oh. well, then lie on your back. Uh, and this, like, no dialogue at the end after whatever else he said. I think he checks on her in the hospital, like, and that he gets, like, a line or two there. And he has it. a line when they're walking out of the party and, yep. and they run into the homeless guy and they have that yeah, brief like, little make-out make scene. Out. That's right. yeah. yeah, but I, kn- I know there's, like, some kind of thing of how much screen time and how many lines you have factors into that. That's my theory. Hmm. Um, why he does not talk at the end at all. <laughs> He's technically... Yeah, they- Flying under a the radar. Featured extra. Yeah, yeah. featured extra. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, they definitely, this movie is coming down for a, a crash landing at this point anyway. Yeah, so I'm not surprised. Um, yeah, as they run through uh, the crumbling house, disintegrating, they disintegrate Chatterbox, my favorite. Uh, he, he gets done dirty. Um, and, and then everybody else just kind of like goes, and then they open the front door, and it's a portal instead of the actual outside, and it's the shrimp mm. monster again because no, we got to get our money's back. worth. Get somebody behind there, <laughs> get them rolling in, get that dolly going again. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they they make it go away with the cube it's as well. Same thing. They just fuck yeah. with the cube again, and they just and leave the house, away. and the house blows up. Yeah, and they walk I out guess. of the portal. It, like it was just blackness, and the shrimp monster comes in, and I assumed it was a portal. I was like, but wait a minute, was the shrimp monster just? hanging out in the front yard this whole time. Like (laughs) apparently it wasn't a portal because they just walked out into what seems to be the normal world before (laughs) the house just catches on fire for no reason. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. Also, I want to like say, okay, two things here. Shrimp monster hanging out front waiting for them is hilarious to me because looking over at the neighbors and being like, no, it's cool. I know them uh, (laughs) is is great in my mind. Uh, The other thing is, their house is now on like a several acre wide lot that uh, yep. no mm. other house is on. Uh, is it? I that was like <laughs> Darla and I both are like, what the fuck? Because th- then we we it fades and then it fades back in and they're in a field Just with like a, like a highway bet- behind them and like there's no other houses or anything and like some flaming rubble, like yeah, a, a flaming chair. Essentially. Yes, there's <laughs> one chair sitting on fire. And it survived yeah. the house like collapsing around it. It's still fully intact, but it's on fire. Dude, that's the best. <laughs> that chair like, is divine, I think. That yeah. might be. Yeah. It's I wasn't certain if this chair. was the house. Yeah, the devil's chair. Devil's chair never stops burning. <laughs> if this was the house, like what was left of it, or like a hobo camp 
that they like walked oh, to yeah. later. They like they're like walking the away. Yeah. Oh, I assumed yeah. it was supposed to be the house, but uh, who yeah. knows? I don't know. It's clearly like, yeah, it's clearly next to the New Jersey Turnpike. Like it's not, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not a neighborhood anymore. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and we don't they, really ever get context for where this house is in relation to other buildings. To Fair enough. It's we, just kind of. It seems to be this just like rich compound that is surrounded by trees and stuff kind of off by itself. You know, it's seemingly walking distance from a hotel bar. Yes. Where yes. you can pick up two dudes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. We Although Kirsty, when she leaves with Steve, they walk to the subway and then go Which, from the there. Train, so the maybe subway, it's yeah. just walking distance to a, so nice to a to subway station. Oh. Yeah. You can get anywhere that you want to. Okay. That's probably, yeah. That feels awkward, though, when you pick up a dude at the it hotel. It still looks like they live in yeah. some lobby. Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> it does, yeah, it does seem like they wouldn't be within walking distance of a subway station. There are too many yeah, trees. No. Yep. Uh, anyway, very weird. The whole yeah, who, yeah who so cares? this whole wasteland that they're in that I guess the house was a part of maybe or maybe it wasn't. Who knows? Who gives a shit? Uh, they're like fucking. Ah, I hate this fucking cube. And Christy throws it into a fire and is like, "Fuck you!" Uh, and then the the vagrant dude shows vagrant up, the cricket, up, cricket muncher, and mm-hmm. he just like reaches his hand into the cube, and his whole body lights on fire as he continues to hold it. And then he turns into this sweet ass skeleton pterodactyl demon thing that's like, <laughs> <"Bah!"> <laughs> and like flies off at the camera. I was it just is. in shock at that point. <laughs> yes. Like, what oh, yeah. the fuck? The Doesn't homeless it? guy was a pterodactyl the whole time. What is going on here? What is the significance of this character to anything else? It is this. Is it a Cenobite? Is it something else entirely? I don't fucking know. Like, just just wild. Absolutely wild. And and like. I, doesn't it iris out into the circle yes. of the cube? <laughs> you just go. It's, yes. It's like heavy metal. <laughs> like, and I was off to ruin another person's life. And right. Yeah. Start- it zooms out to the cube and the guy is selling it to someone else at yeah. the Chipotle. Right. And he says again. the same fucking thing again. Like, what's your pleasure, sir? It's like, you only have one pleasure. Yeah. Just give him the fucking thing. Give, give, him, the give him the fucking yeah. box. <laughs> the handjob business options? just ain't working out for me. No, how <laughs> they always want the box. <laughs> Stick the box. Uh, the, you can have a hand would. job or what's behind box <laughs> oh, number two. Box. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a hand job before. <laughs> <laughs> the box could be anything. It could, be it anything. could even be a box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the effects work on this dragon. This is definitely the budget dragon pterodactyl, mm-hmm. whatever the fuck it is. It this is the effects budget. It's gone at this point. This thing looks like. Ray Harryhausen, nineteen fifty-seven. No, oh, okay. It is a Halloween decoration plastic fucking skeleton from a yard. Like, <laughs> that's what this thing is, and it and it they're just on some like strings, and they yep. pull it up off the screen. It's so bad. They flap it over. <laughs> yeah, I guess this is the thing that's been leaking information about the box. <laughs> it's the WikiLeaks. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. It sells it like it waits until the Cenobites and everyone it comes back and picks up the box and then turns into a guy and sells it to somebody again. And then it goes into the pet stores and eats crickets and it I don't know around. why. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it creeps on girls in the meantime. I guess you got to pass the time waiting. What for is its motivations? <laughs> like what? <laughs> why is it doing any of this? Just but it got the box from Kirsty at the end after mm. everything's done, but it just left it sitting there after Frank died. Yeah, like didn't come get it, or it was late to get it, or something. I the don't, door to the like, house was locked. Yeah, oh, yeah, it couldn't get in. Yeah, 
we couldn't break those windows, the single pane the windows w- with newspaper holding it together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how you stop a demon pterodactyl. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. And then credits roll, right? It's just straight to credits. Yeah. I'm sure else. that's all of it. That's <laughs> all I remember. Yep. And there you have it, everybody. That's Hellraiser. That's not starring the lead Cenobite, not Pinhead, because Pinhead doesn't have a name until the third movie, um, which I found I find fascinating. It's that Legend of Zelda thing where everybody thinks that Zelda is the main character, except in this, it's like, I, I like to think of horror movies as somebody referring to it as, um, you know, they know Jason from Friday the 13th, but maybe they'll refer to Michael Myers as Halloween, which would be really funny to me. <laughs> but for Hellraiser, it's like, Pinhead is the Hellraiser, obviously. Uh, I saw Hellraiser. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. They don't really explain why it's called that. It's just like they needed like a rockin' title to, yeah, to put on ass. it. Uh-huh. Clive Barker's cocaine demanded it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I feel yeah. like the thing like at the end, like flying away with the cube to me, it's totally the, Hey, Friday the 13th made money. Cause Jason like jumps out at the end that got people excited for sequels. And yep. They did that. Then after that, on Nightmare on Elm Street, they do the same thing because they're like, "Oh, that was cool." So, Freddy like jams his hand through the window and pulls a pulls a dummy through the window. Yeah. And so here it's like, well, we got to do something to make people like excited that there'll be another Hellraiser. So here's this in the same vein as those two movies, something stupid that has no bearing on what's been going on up until this point. Yeah. While they're just waiting for, and I think that like because Clive Barker directed this one, his name's at the very front of it shortly after the sequels that follow have like Clive Barker presents. And then at some point it switches. It's no longer him producing any of these. And it just says yeah, based yeah. on Clive Barker characters. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think he had involvement with the second one, but they have a different director. Yeah. And then the new world, whatever it is that had like nearly bankrupted themselves in the distribution and movie rights, like switch at some point. Oh yeah. The production company that had the AT&T logo. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Something, something happened with them with like bad business deals or whatever, and they were falling apart. So somebody else picks up the right at some point it ended up with Harvey Weinstein. Yes. I've, I've realized when that happened, because as I watched those ones, they were significantly more horny and uncomfortable in that way. More rapey. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds about right. The like, 2011 yeah. one, the one you didn't get to see, they made in like a week. I wanted to because see it. Because they were, yeah, they were going to lose the, the rights. The rights. And so they're like, all right, you know, Roger Corman style, quick crap out a Hellraiser movie. They showed it in one theater. Yep. <laughs> wow. So that they, yeah, then they're like, hey, we put out a Hellraiser movie. Like we can retain the rights. So that's probably why you can't find it is they don't even give a shit. I'm actively about barred that Hellraiser from, movie. It's on Tubi. I just haven't watched it. it. Oh, you just haven't watched it? Yeah. Not only that, it's the only one where the pinhead dude is played by somebody different. It's uh, the... The late 2018 one is where pinhead's also played by somebody different. But yeah. Okay. John's well, going to yeah, watch this both one of those during Shocktober. Oh, God. I don't know if I'm going to do that, <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> I already have such a full queue. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, like, after... Uh, trying to think of like any other notes for the end of the first one, because we got that teaser that's letting you know, there's going to be more of them, but it's also like buying time for them to figure out what the fuck franchise they have on their hands. Uh, because even the second one, just to speak a little bit to that is kind of more of the same of the first one in a way, but they start to introduce a bit of lore to it. Um, and they focus more on like, because I guess pinhead was so resonant. They were like, let's just do something kind of cool for pinhead to give him more character. So they made him a, 
a human being that got transformed into a Cenobite in the second one. Mm. Um, and I don't it was, like it. It's just like he was like yeah, a British no. dude in World War One that opened the box and got converted. And then in all of two, uh, Kirstie's put in an asylum and is having to like open the box again because they're like, we want you to prove that it's like the descent too. But like prove it, prove that your friends were eaten by mutants in that cave by going into that cave again. <laughs> and so she like opens it. And this time she goes to the hell world and Julia, no, she doesn't name. open it. Oh yeah. She doesn't right. open it. The other girl in the asylum that has no fucking clue what's going on, but she is, just quote, likes good puzzles. With, good with puzzles opens it again. When she opens it, same shit. It's like two moves. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. Um, yeah, I, I just Hellraiser 2 is the closest to the first one in the sense that they got the exact same um, actor to come back and play Christy. And so there's a bit more continuity to what they're trying to do with it. Um, but it has this like really dumb plot of this asylum doctor who I guess has grown so accustomed to people suffering in his mental ward uh, that he's decided he's always been fascinated with the box. And so he decided, like, I should just use my patience to try to get whatever I want to get from the, the hell boxes. And he collects like multiple ones. There's multiple of them. There's now like pages and pages of demonic lore around them. Pinhead used to be, so we could have used that in the first movie. Yeah. yeah that's it's, what it's, we were supposed to find in the literally like kind of George Lucasing itself, just explaining a bit more about some things in a really direct way. Same stuff that Ryan hates where it's like yeah. exposition in. There's this one character that's introduced named Kyle who gets murdered um, at like the halfway mark. And you're like, thank God, because he's like everything that was in the first Hellraiser um, just put together into one person. He's completely oblivious. He walks around a room and goes, hello, anybody in here? And <laughs> walks into like a room with a bunch of dead bodies, sees Julia fully revived. And he's like, oh, my God who did this? Yeah. <laughs> she like <laughs> fucking kills him on the spot. Um, but yeah, it's, they use, they don't use the shrimp monster, but they use something kind of similar to it. And they have some rotoscope shit and they had some cool practical effects to it, but it wasn't much more substance. It was they, like, okay. they hang out, they hang out in hell and walk on MC Escher paintings. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that was like pretty rad, but you can tell that they were like, let's not blow the budget this time. Let's just make like four corridors and we'll Flintstone you through them. Uh, whenever you need to run somewhere. So it's like, all right, mm. um, I guess their practical was in budget. Tony, should, Tony should we... Randall directed this. Oh, sorry. Interesting. Uh, no, you got, I would say, should we say whether we recommend this or not before you run through the rest before, of these? Yeah. Before yeah. Tear through nine more. Yeah, movies. That's true. Yeah. Sure. Uh, uh, go Ryan. Yeah. I'm going to say no. I do think the effects. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I do think the effects are really good. Like that actually, and, mm. and for like horror fans that are like already like somebody that would love this for the effects mm -hmm. that is a horror fan is already seen it or would see it normally. Yeah. Um. Like, so I don't like if someone's looking for a horror movie, I'm not gonna be like, dude, you need to go watch Hellraiser. Yeah. I can see where maybe in 1987 somebody was because it was like such a big deal, but, but like, there's nothing else around the effects work. Like the, I feel like so much else, like I don't care about the characters. I won't remember their no. names yeah. or the general gist about them anywhere down the line. And then, and then now you can be like, well, tell me about the other people from Friday the 13th or whatever. Fine. Okay. I don't know any of those people either, but there's more <laughs> of a backstory to like Jason and his mom and, you know, and Freddy Krueger and all that, that pinhead doesn't really, he's all mystery. Yeah. No sub, nothing, no substance. Uh, and he's barely in it. 
So yeah, I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't know why it got, it made money. And so it got sequels. The sequels all look horrible. And oh. I'm sure you'll tell us in a minute, increasingly horrible. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it keeps pumping money somehow. It doesn't even look like it does. They don't seem to make as much money as the other horror franchises do. And they have less and less a budget every time and make less and less money. Um, I don't know why it's getting a remake again, other than it sells yeah. Halloween masks. Like yep. Pinhead just has a cool design, but I'm almost like, you've already seen that. Like it's just in the cultural consciousness of what Pinhead looks like. So you've kind of already seen it. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, I kind of just was, I was really disappointed. Like I'm, I'm honestly like oh. almost all the other major horror franchises just have something else going on with them that this one, I really thought exploring the like, pain pleasure opening up this other dimension you know oh, yeah. someone being someone being pushed to where they're like so greedy to seek out things beyond and it, it's their comeuppance like that makes sense but that's not what this movie's about it's not about anything yeah um and, and yeah it really is like from a i can see it it's a short story yeah right it really is it's a it's a basic short story stephen king has a hundred shitty short stories that nobody remembers that just sort of like, Oh, that's a creepy thing to think about. And then you're done and you move on with your life. Like that's what it is. They stretched it out. Not even quite to two hours and kind of, there wasn't anything. I just like, there wasn't anything to it. I didn't feel like. Yeah. I, I want to point out real quick, Dixon, before you chime in, yep. Ryan, Ryan's description of Hellraiser one. And then the rest of the franchise sounds exactly like Godzilla 2016. Um, because you were like, he's barely in it. I don't even know how the sequels keep making money. I don't know what people are doing. <laughs> Anyways. Was it Shin Godzilla? Yes. No, not Shin Godzilla. No, 2016 was the right. Western one that led to Brian King Cranston. Kong, and then it led to Godzilla 20, 2014, I think, was was that one. Right? No. Was it? I don't 2014 remember. was like oh, 2014 that first Godzilla. You're right, you're right. Godzilla. Yeah, They've no. had some others, and I haven't seen all of them. Yeah, so that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. My brain's all fucked up now. <laughs> Anyways, go on, Dixon. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that, Ryan, because you do like these kind of slasher franchises. And I did come around on this movie. Like, it has lots of problems, but I think... Like, if you like slasher movies, you'll like this movie for the most part. Um, but it, Ryan didn't, so so maybe maybe that's not true for everybody. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm not a big fan of slasher movies, but I just thought the effects were done so well that, um, that like, it's not a long movie. Like, that enough is, is worth it. Like, if you like slasher movies, you'll probably like this. If what we're describing to you does not sound good, don't watch it. You're not going to like it. You know, it's a lot of... Uh, you know, a lot of gore and, and, you know, crazy practical effects and stuff and some pretty cheesy dialogue and very poor character development. But, um, you know, overall, I, I give it a very unenthusiastic thumbs up. Um, you know, like if it sounds like something that you'd be into, then check it out. You'll probably like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to also recommend it. Uh, I recommend it based on the practical effects also, because compared to like the ones that come after this one has such a strong atmosphere to some of the sequences um, of tension. It's got good music too. To we didn't talk about that. The yes, score is good. Actually, yeah, we didn't. The music yeah. is really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and just like the way it's one of those things where like the dream logic, it's, it's fine. Cause I think Clive Barker doesn't care about the substance, which is why, which is the main problem here is like, there's not a whole lot that it should go on. So it's a mystery that it continues to go on. Um, it, it's so, 
open-ended this should have just kind of been a one and done in like my opinion but they just wanted to keep doing weird shit i guess and, and make money for it um so yeah when you watch this if you're into practical effects if you're into that kind of horror aspect of things then yeah you're gonna enjoy it sasha was like kind of I don't think that we really go back to it, though. She was like, did we watch Hellraiser one? Should we rewatch it? We ended up watching Hellraiser two instead because she was like, well, I want you to pay attention when you watch Hellraiser one so you can make notes. And if you watch Hellraiser two, you don't have to. And I was like, I have to pay attention to nine of them. So (laughs) it doesn't matter which one, but we'll do that. Um, Yeah. uh, The score and the atmosphere and also just uh, the performance for Pinhead um, is, is really delightful to me. So I, just like it based on that and kind of the feeling that it gives me, it did unsettle me at times, even when the visuals were noticeably like lower in budget. Uh, I could feel sort of the creativity coming from Clive Barker's weird brain, uh, just trying to reach through to the other side of the screen. And I was like, all right, I dig this energy. Um, it, it really does kind of get to me in a way. So, uh, yeah, I, I dig it would recommend it. Um, yeah, again, I have the same qualifier, though, as Dixon, which is if you're really not into this kind of stuff or gore or you don't like BDSM and you can't look at it at all, <laughs> uh, then yeah. don't, don't go into this. Um, yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's, it definitely leans on that like gross aspect. You will know but in the first think... four minutes of the movie whether you can yeah. stomach sitting through the rest of it. <laughs> Let me just say, if yeah. I could sum it up in a few words, Jesus wept. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I so I think from a slasher aspect, like I want, I want to touch on it again. Like it, I by the time you get to anything, like you're you're mm-hmm. bored with Frank. Yeah, is what I felt like. Like it's yeah. really fucked up at the beginning, and then you kind of see him, and it, when he's like, "Don't look at me," and all that crap, but then you kind of just keep seeing him. It loses. It normalizes the sting. it, <laughs> right? It just normalizes this dude with no skin. Uh, like I said, there's no surprise about him being in Larry's skin you've forgotten about Pinhead by the time you get back around to it. Like, they didn't sprinkle that in in a way that the anticipation was growing. Meanwhile, here I am over in Halloween 4, and Mike Myers is, like, stabbing a dude through the stomach with a shotgun, or Friday the 13th, he's, like, hitting the sleeping bag all over stuff, right? Like, it's every couple of minutes, something horrible, gory, and crazy special effects is happening. Where this one like rides on that one special effect of Frank for a long time in the middle, mm-hmm. where it has some like really good stuff early and has some really interesting design with the Cenobites at the end, but the bulk middle of this movie just kind of drags. In a way, a lot of Giallo movies yeah. <laughs> do. I agree. Yeah, the bad Giallos where just like some you know unseen you know gloved hand murder someone at the beginning and then we have to wait forever for the next murder. Yeah. Like a good giallo, it's there's somebody being murdered every like we're coming up with some stupid reason to murder someone every like five minutes on the clock. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that really all of the money that went into the shrimp monster should have gone to everything <laughs> else. It could have yeah. probably made I for liked stronger the shrimp monster. <laughs> well, I do, too. But to be fair, it's literally in the movie for like a minute and a half. Yeah, <laughs> and if that yeah. there was quite a lot that probably went into renting that dolly and building a track for it and everything else. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I love this from the place of, yeah, the same, the giallos, the Italian horror style. Cause it reminds me of it and it has this different twist sort of put to it. But I remember also when I, after I watched all nine of them, um, 
I, I went and looked on YouTube just to see if people actually made the videos I thought they would make about it. Like, oh, the ending of nine explained and like all of that. And yes, <laughs> absolutely. Those videos are out there, but there's also compilations of pinheads, best kills. And I was like, how many creative ways could the dude who can summon chains with hooks really kill people? Uh, he could stab them with his face. <clears throat> He could, and he does in one of them. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, Sort of, but he doesn't really kill them with that. He just kind of does it for fun, (laughs) moves on. Mm. Um, Well, yeah, anyways, uh, so we have a round table of recommends. Shall we go into Ryan? Ryan did not recommend. Sorry, sorry. I was trying to gaslight Ryan. (laughs) No, split decision. Oh, man. Which is, I find it funny that uh, that I was the one that liked Tenebrae. Right. And you guys hated it. Uh-huh. And then I like this and you guys like this one. Did I hate Tenebrae? Oh, yeah, man. you guys both I, were like I didn't mad. like Tenebrae. I don't remember where you came down on it. I, John. I like thought I you liked it. it. I, I thought you liked oh, it. I liked okay, whenever right. that sharded thing fell into the man's face when he fell through the door. I sounded like a toddler trying to explain a murder to you <laughs> oh, just then. Murder. <laughs> Did you say sharded? Uh, yeah, sharded. Yeah, sharded. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so we have a refute from Ryan and uh, two recommends that are qualified. I just yeah. want to put that out there. These aren't just blind recommends. Don't show your mom this if you, <laughs> you, mo- you and your mom aren't into slashers, I guess. Um, so, John, before you start running through, you already talked about two, so let's be very clear on that. So yeah. we're going to start with three here. Uh, if you guys listened to last October's episodes when John was just railing on all the schlock he was watching, we're going to put John on a 30-second shot clock to discuss each of the rest of the Hellraiser sequels. So I've got I've got a timer okay. right here. But then I want to be able to at least go into some of the details that I mention in them. If I'm not like this is going to be completely <laughs> off the off the rails here for a second, but I will go through and try to sum up them because some of them are definitely worth not talking about ever again. Okay. Um, but there are others where I'm like Are there certain <laughs> ones that you want more time than 30 seconds? Uh that's where I'm like, I'll just do 30 seconds and then I want to pry at them instead because I have no idea how much time I might need to pull this up. It's not going to be that much. All right. It's not going to be long, but okay. Uh, well, well, let me just start off by saying Hellraiser 2. Uh, for anybody who didn't get what the plot was of that one, um, to, that it was just Kirstie needs to get out of a mental ward where a doctor is obsessed with the puzzle cube and wants to release whatever is underneath Pinhead's uh, hellscape. And at the same time, Julia is alive again and also is Frank. Uh, and then Julia kills Frank by the end. And, uh, Kirstie was Julia all along. So there you go, everybody. That's Hellraiser <laughs> two. Uh, all right. <laughs> all right. Start Hellraiser this. three. Go Hellraiser three hell on earth. Uh, pinhead becomes sentient and is also called pinhead now. And he wants to rule over earth. So he tries to trick a woman into letting him out. And at the same time, forms a complete new gang of Cenobites. And I want to go through those later because they're fucking stupid and wild. It was like crazy to watch. Um, just go. Just go. If you want more time going, on a movie, okay, just, just okay, go. And cool. I'll, I'll try to keep you All from right. going too long. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, apparently the rules have changed. Uh, in Hellraiser 2, it was established you can become a Cenobite by going into the hellscape and being transformed by a big old machine that eats your brain. Um, but in Hell in Hellraiser three, mm. now Pinhead just has to look at you and flay you in just a certain way, and then it makes you into a Cenobite forever. So the main character's best friend, who's a cinematographer, becomes half camera, half man, and then another guy <laughs> becomes a CD shooting dude because uh, I guess he's obsessed with media, and some other dude becomes uh, I don't know. He doesn't really have a talent. He just like throws books or some shit at people. 
Um, and there's a priest who confronts the demons and religion does not save the priest at all. I just wanted to nice. pull that out. They, they really played on that for a bit. Anyways, Hellraiser 3, Pinhead's thwarted at the end because she used the box, obviously. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hellraiser, um, oh God, Bloodline. This is Hellraiser 4. This one establishes, this is the f- fucking moment that they jump the shark, even though I just talked about half man, half camera. Um, they try to introduce uh, a lineage of people that have always been fighting against the Cenobites. Uh, they are the good guys, I guess. And it's, they come from a French family called Le Merchants and everybody just calls them the merchants and the merchants are toy makers. And the toy that they make is the hell box that opens up for some sadomasochistic uh. dude and Adam Scott. No, but like I need to talk more because it takes place during it, they're in outer space what? and they tell like it's anthological. Yes. They start in outer space. They go back in time to like the 1600s where Adam Scott's alive um, somehow. And then they go forward into like 1996 where there's an architect who has built a giant hotel that looks like the box because he's the descendant of the family of puzzle makers. Um, and then his whole family's kidnapped. Pinhead uses him to get to. Uh, the box and gets imprisoned some way. Then is released on the space station, which turns into a box itself and eliminates Pinhead forever. And <laughs> until <laughs> Hellraiser uh, five, which is Inferno. I don't want to fucking talk about this one. I really fucking don't. It's like a bad version of oh fuck. I put something in. It's a cool concept, sure, but in execution, it's the Empty Man meets a Christmas Carol. No, <laughs> and uh, that's really all you need to know. Except it introduces the narrative mechanism for the rest of the Hellraisers, wherein you'll never know if what you're seeing is reality for any character at any point in time. So that they can just fucking be sloppy with all the writing they want to. <laughs> uh, Hellraiser Hellseeker. This stars the guy from the Allstate commercials who is a raccoon in your attic. I don't know if people <laughs> out there remember that. But he and his wife drive off a cliff and fall into a river where she dies and he's haunted by her. And all of his friends are killed slowly by Cenobites. And he's having an affair with his boss at work. Um, his wife is, was Kirsty. That was one little. Oh, weird. his wife was Kirsty. Yes. No. Um, but somehow decided to get back on that plot after we destroyed them <laughs> in space. So uh, what it turns out being, even though he's haunted by the Cenobites and everything, is uh, he actually had schemed to kill his wife because she inherited a lot of money from Larry, her father, who's rich in Hellraiser One. They were paying uh-huh. attention. Um, <laughs> so for her birthday, he got her the box so that she could open it again, and he forces her to open it because he thinks it'll kill her. But really, it just sends him down this Twilight Zone bullshit story, uh-huh. and he dies. Uh, <laughs> so from there we get into Hellraiser debtor. This is Hellraiser six where, uh, a bunch of people have started a cult and one of them looks like Robert Pattinson. If he was just an average dude, um, and he's leading the cult and it's all these people who can die, but come back to life. And a hard hitting journalist has to figure out why. So when she goes to investigate it, she gets killed, but comes back to life and finds out that she's an emissary for Pinhead because he wants to take over the world. And so he convinces her to kill this death cult. And when she does, we find out the death cult was in the lineage of the puzzle maker Eh. from four. So now we move on. You know how stupid (laughs) that name is, by the way? Debtor. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the cultists call themselves that? The debtors? Yeah, exactly. I also want to call out, the movie explains that it knows that the name debtor is dumb in the very beginning. As the journalist is given the story by her boss, who goes, they're called debtors. And she's like, yeah, I'm one of them. And he's like, no, debtors, not debtors. 
Not D E B T O R. Yeah. D E A D E R. <laughs> yes. And then he shows her a snuff film right after that. Anyways, uh, Hellraiser Seven uh, was was Debtors or was it? Fuck. Now I don't remember anymore. Yeah, Shit. that now was you're seven. On, you're on. That was seven. So okay, now you're on yeah. eight. Hell World. Hell is eight, World. Starring Henry Cavill. Uh, Superman, everybody, as a horny dude. Um, this is one of the horniest ones. This is where Hellraiser pivoted to almost be Scream uh, in how parodical and self-aware it was. Lance Henriksen is in this movie as the host of this kick-ass party, and all these kids play this MMORPG that's just about opening the puzzle box, and it takes them like two minutes <laughs> to play it, but they've all been playing it for months, and mm-hmm. one of their friends mysteriously self-immolates himself for the game, and they don't register that as being fucked up or weird. So then we get to explore this big ass mansion while we have all these dumb sequences. Mm. No, I want I want to talk about <laughs> no, the no, no, we got to talk about this one. I want <laughs> to talk, talk about this one. <laughs> so so we get this there's a split reality in this in which every character seems to occupy a different space. Like Henry Cavill's getting a blowjob from a woman in one area and then he gets put in the basement and is murdered. And then like some other dude, one of the other friends gets murdered in this really dumb way where his asthma, his inhaler falls down a set of pipes in a very Tex Avery style uh, <laughs> Rube Goldberg machine. And he just gets like his head chopped off by Pinhead. Pinhead's not trying anymore at this time. He's in retirement, I guess. Didn't give a shit. Um, and like as everybody's picked off, there's two characters left to romance each other. And they are both kind of traumatized. And you think it's all happening in the mansion. But really, the twist is that Lance Hendrickson drugged them before they even got in the mansion, put them in coffins, cut holes in the coffins so they could breathe out. The drugs he gave them were hallucinogens. He put a Nokia cell phone in each of the coffins so they could all talk on a conference call and he could put subliminal messages in their brain so that they would then have terrible nightmare experiences about Pinhead. And when they and then they would die of fright, I guess, is how he was planning to do it all because or lack of oxygen, maybe. Yeah. And then the other twist was that he was the father of the friend that they had that self immolated himself. And the moral of the story was, I guess we should have saved him from himself. And friendship is supposed to do that, I suppose. I don't fucking know. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, Lance yeah. Henderson I needed, really just phoned him. I in. needed John off the clock for that one. I wanted yeah. to see if he could explain it <laughs> oh and it God. would make any sense. Did I do it? That, that one also, there, that's one thing about these movies with like a bajillion sequels, ex, except Chucky for whatever reason. Eventually they do a movie where the villain isn't the villain. Like the reveal is like, oh, Pinhead wasn't even there. He's not even like real not, anymore. It wasn't Pinhead. Yeah. Um, yeah, they slowly. Like, why? why? <laughs> would that be something audiences would be like, oh shit, that's cool. Yeah, they were hallucinating the whole time, and this movie's fucking made up. <laughs> Before we get to the final one, I just want to say that all of these Hellraisers leading up to this point have made me realize um, that they are pretty much the beyond belief factor fiction of horror movies. Uh, in the sense that by the end of it, I expect Jonathan Frakes to come out and ask you a question for every plot hole in the movie, and be like, uh, "Were they really buried in coffins with Nokia cell phones? And if so," How did they get any reception when they were six feet underground? And even then, like, you know, just that kind of shit is what I expect at the end of any of these movies now. Um, all right, back on Hellraiser 9. I really don't want to talk about this one either. Uh, it's another d- detective story. There's a lot of detective stories in Hellraiser, people looking for truth and finding pain. Um, and it's about two brothers and uh, in a van and one of them cheats on the other's wife and the other one's obsessed with Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. And that causes them to fall apart. And one of them 
finds Pinhead and then decides to sell out his brother, try to make him open the box, and he fucking gets killed by Pinhead. The only thing that I would say about this that's a little extra in overtime is Sean Baker watched this movie and commented on it, which oh. <laughs> he has not reviewed any other movies except for Tangerine, I think, or not Tangerine, Florida no, Project. Florida Project. <laughs> um, and uh, what he said was, um, eh, can't recommend this movie, but the last 10 seconds are inspired. Um, <laughs> and uh, in the last 10 seconds of this movie, there's a confrontation that opens up the lore further for the rest of, of the universe of Hellraiser in the sense that we're introduced to an angel, an actual angel who comes in and pardons somebody. And then Pinhead gets mad and kills the angel in defiance of God. And the angel is the angel that cast out Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And so then at the very end, Pinhead, his little cronies who can now talk uh, even more so anyway, they get more roles um, are like that God's going to be mad. And Pinhead's like, I don't give a fuck. And they're like, all right, well, you know, do you ever think about maybe banishment is the most painful torture that you could ever imagine? And then it flashes like into a bright overexposed light and we pan down to a, a homeless encampment and Pinhead is now just a homeless man who lives on the streets screaming about the suffering. And that was like it. Does he have um, pins in his head still? No, he has kind of the marks on like, a, it's like a birthmark or something on one side, but it just like ends on that, but it doesn't even do, it's not a beautifully cinema cinematograph shot or anything. It's not set up in a good way. It's like a handheld camera with a fisheye lens and they shake it a lot. Well, he's like the suffering <laughs> <laughs> and then it just goes to credits. And I was like, why did I want to watch this? But okay. Uh, so there you have it, everybody. That's the other Hellraisers that you missed. If you only watched Hellraiser one, you, you don't have to. You were over time on every single one of them. <laughs> Even the one that you said, I really don't want to talk about this. You still went 32 seconds. And so. God damn it, do I love it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, man. And now you have the, the remake to look forward to. Apparently they were trying oh. to make the remake back in like 2007. And it's been like an on again, off again project for years. Probably because it's crappy. Yeah. Uh, and we have these horrible Halloween movies to think not the seat not the uh, remakes because apparently they didn't make enough money to warrant the yeah. hellraiser these new sequels that nobody's been asking for made money mm -hmm. uh, and so now we're we're gonna go back to to hellraiser apparently yeah i don't think these like i don't think the friday the 13th remake or the nightmare on elm street remake did they make money i know they were no. not received well i don't think so i don't know yeah um, that first halloween remake kind of did and the second one was terrible and it, like fell apart really fast I want to real quick say I have recommendations from this batch that I watched for people who are truly just like, fuck it. Why not? I'll watch a terrible movie. Um, I, I have some favorites, I, I would say. Uh, yeah. And my favorites are um, Hellraiser three is great to watch with people because it's the moment that Hellraiser pivots from trying to be creepy atmospherically in any way, shape or form and starts trying to be Terminator two. Okay. Um, every <laughs> Cenobite walks very slowly and intentionally towards people and doesn't run ever. 
(laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but every character has a one-liner that they have to blurt out before they say, like at one point, whenever this priest comes into the play, the main character's running away and I I linked it to y'all. Um, and she's just like, father, you have to help. I have to get to my apartment. And he's like, what's the matter? And she's like, the demons, the demons are after me. And he's like, there's no <laughs> demons. And the doors open and pinhead walks in and she's like, then what the fuck is that? <laughs> it's, it's got good shit like that. Um, and then I would say, uh, hell world, the one where there's a video game is so fucking ridiculous and over the top and so stupid. And Henry Cavill's in it too. It's funny to watch Henry Cavill. At one point, he says, spooky pussy. (laughs) Some shit like that. He he literally does that. And then he giggles and runs away on camera. (laughs) It's like, I'm sure that's a genuine laugh of like, why the fuck am I doing this? I will look that up on YouTube. (laughs) I will not watch the movie. I'll find the clip for you if you can't find it on YouTube. It's great. and then the only other one that I really, it's like the last at my recommends would be the Hellseeker one. Just because if you've ever wanted to watch the guy from the Allstate commercials, get all kinds of like sexual encounters that are completely unwarranted. If you really want to know that, that's when I knew it was a Harvey Weinstein movie because mm. the plot hinged completely on this guy having every woman after him. And they were all of like this certain complexion. And I was like, okay, Sure. Uh, but like, this is like this is Dennis Haysbert, like the dignified guy, or this no, is like the, the you got to protect yourself from mayhem, like the me. mayhem yeah, guy, that one, yeah, that one. Dean yeah. Winters, that's his name. Dean Winters, yeah. yeah. Dean Winters is is so desirable in this movie. There's a scene where he goes to get a candy bar from a snack machine, and like in the snack room of his office, and his boss is like can I help you? Do you need something? And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like really confused. And then she just pushes him up against the candy machine, grabs his nuts and like starts kissing him (laughs) hard. And I was like, what is happening in the movie? And even he's not sure why it's happening. I was like, all right, this is fucking dumb, but I'll stick around just to see (laughs) the uh, the mayhem dude and what he does. Um, So yeah, I'd recommend it for the novelty of being like, that's the guy from the Allstate commercials. (laughs) That's a very weak recommend. Um, yeah, everything else. <laughs> fuck that. Don't care. Uh, hell world's fun for, for Henry Cavill and all state guys makes Hellseeker good, I guess, or not Hellseeker. Um, fuck whatever else it is. I don't remember what it is. It is Hellseeker. Sorry. Uh, anyways, well, um, did y'all have any other closing remarks after that, uh, clusterfuck of words? Do you have any questions for me about the things I've seen did- and the things <laughs> I've lived? Not when I even want the sites you've wondered <laughs> the sites such. Oh, that was the other thing. There's such a through line of using the same fucking lines from the first Hellraiser in all of the sequels at one point or another. Oh God. Like in Hellraiser five, like some star Wars shit. Yeah. In Hellraiser five, this dude is like, or no, it's in Hellraiser three. There's a nightclub owner who gets like the box, but it's become a giant pillar that has pinhead on it or something. And he has to lure women to his bed so he can fuck them. And then they can be eaten by the pillar and rejuvenated, I guess. And at one point he's like, come to daddy for like no fucking reason. He's <laughs> never done anything like that. He just does it. I'm like, all right. And then later they're like, we have such sites to show you for like random people. will say that. And it's like, all right, you said it before. It's fine. Don't have to do it again. <laughs> so anyways, uh, that was for the real fans. They they get up and cheer in the. It's you know, cheaper to write the, the screenplay when you copy and paste from the previous movie. right from previous one. <laughs> I would say they they get up and stand up and clap in the theater, but these are all direct to video. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Like Michael Bay doesn't write a screenplay. He just goes in for full VFX. <laughs> <laughs> it's cheaper there. Um, but yeah. Transformer go boom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, there's some cool Cenobite designs overall, but uh, the rest of it's just shit. It doesn't matter. At one point, Pinhead has a dog, because why not? Does the dog C- have pins in its head? Yeah, yeah it pans all over the dog. It's a Cenobite yeah. dog, so it's obviously... And then it gets completely obliterated. It like runs into a wall and like splats, just like the Gobble Gobs do. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Fucking whatever that was. I don't know how many hours in my life that is anymore, but I, I know that it was less than it should have been. Like, I'm so glad they didn't try to pad runtime. I bet the average runtime on this is like 84 minutes, right? Like, yeah, mm, it's like an hour and hour and 20 hour and 30. It fluctuates yeah. between these two. Yeah. yeah. It, it, they never make it to the hour 30 for sure. Uh, credits keep up that. So was thankful for that, everybody. Um, <laughs> and I made it through. I'm ready for Schlocktober, I suppose. I need to do like a palate cleanser before. Yes, you do. <laughs> you can't go from nine Hellraiser movies in three days right into Schlocktober. We're recording this just before the first day, a couple days before the first day of October. So you got a little bit of time to... A precipice of sanity. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> time to watch Hulu's Hellraiser. Yeah, all right. <laughs> that'll, that'll cleanse it. Um, well, yeah. I don't have any other notes. Uh, Clive Barker, um, I would say you need to get a, a grip on your property, but I don't know that I really want that. Um, I don't know that I want anything else to do with Hellraiser right now, so I'm kind of done. <laughs> um, He's sitting so back in fights and checks. <laughs> well, everybody, uh, stick around because we have such sights to show you after the break. I was paid to say that. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right, we'll be back. At Coors, we pride ourselves on making the best light beer money can buy. Best thing about our beer, that cold Rocky Mountain flavor rolling over your tongue. Second best thing, it kills werewolves. We don't call Coors Light the silver bullet for nothing. When you're hiking through the Rockies, or strolling through the neighborhood trick-or-treating with your youngin', you see a werewolf charging at you, just whip out that silver bullet and chuck it right at that demon dog's face. Guaranteed one hit kill. Next time you venture out under a full moon, remember to pack a silver bullet. Coors. It kills werewolves. And we're back, everybody, with Recommend or Refute. You know the rules of the game. We go around the table. We give you a movie that you should spend time with. Or we tell you about a movie that, uh, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't spend time with it. Maybe some of us even spoil it sometimes, uh, like if it's X or something, Dixon. Um, (laughs) Anyways, uh, Ryan, you picked our movie. So what do you got for us now? Yeah, I actually went and saw a movie in the theater again. (gasps) Um, Whoa. Yeah. I think it was a few weeks ago I talked about the Dragon Ball movie had come out and I went, I watched that. Um, not a wide release, but uh, a new Gundam movie had come out and was having theatrical releases, but only that like two days in the middle of the week at one time mm, I see. <laughs> at select theaters kind of deal. Um, but what for is me, Gundam? that's awesome. Giant robots. So Gundam. Yeah. Gundam. <laughs> if yeah, you, you guys see camera, you at home don't on the uh, podcast, but there's a, there's a wall of them back here behind me because I build them. Uh, they are f- fighting robots. <laughs> Hell yeah, they are. Uh, it is, a, it is a series and this, this is important to me explaining the, the point of this movie, I guess. 
It is a series that started in 1979 and has been running continuously since in different iterations. Uh, There's like one timeline that they kind of continue to follow and fill in gaps, a la Star Wars. Like it just has so many sequels. Every last thing has been explored. It goes like a million years in the future almost from where the start is and tells like what happens at that point and comes back and fills things in. It's completely ludicrous. And then they have all these side stories, one of which is just like a world where they have they decide the Earth's fate by having these giant robots fight and your willpower is what decides if your robot fights well or not. Um, And then it's kind of been coming and going like on and off with these other like offshoots. The biggest one in the United States was Gundam Wing that was on Cartoon Network. Uh, Mm -hmm. And otherwise, you know, and it has spotty. Except for G you Gundam, know, following too. Following in, yeah, G, G Gundam, Gundam and, and original Gundam kind of got some play here in the States. Uh, you can generally find the Gundam kits, the Gunpla kits, which is what I, I build and I keep up with Gundam. But, like, as far as anime is concerned, Gundam is, like, completely my shit. Like, I like fucking fighting robots. I don't, it's awesome. Uh, and it's completely a space opera. It's like Star Wars, where it the stuff doesn't really make any sense. It tries to pretend to be hard science fiction, but it is not. It's might as well be samurais fighting the way that these giant robots fight with yeah. a little bit with a little sprinkle of some like world war ii uh aesthetic i don't know which yeah world war ii aesthetics we got some nazi like some people that are like nazis and some world war ii elements that always kind of seem to find their way back and the core plot is war sucks uh on every single one of these yeah it like so, tears people apart and it makes them isolated and sad. And yeah, kind of exactly. Like some emotional depth to it. It's not just all robots fighting. It uses well, the robots fighting to talk about why robots fighting is people, bad. People um, talk <laughs> while the robots fight, if I remember correctly. They yes, like there's a lot of like, <laughs> yes, long monologuing about why are you making me do this? And it almost all of them involve some kid, like a 12 to 16 year old weird. Who, who steals a giant robot to begin with and then kills a million people. Oh, yeah. And Injured. honestly, almost in every single one of them comes out like shell shocked and fucked up by the end of it like it's this is not for kids either <laughs> like mm-hmm. it seems like it would be this like power fantasy but it's you like everything always ends up fucked up um so this new movie mobile mobile suit gundam colon kukuru's doan's island because every anime movie has to be a fucking mouthful <laughs> yeah um in the night original 1979 show the like 15th episode was so poorly animated that it's a meme among Gundam of just like how off model everything was and it looked terrible. And in subsequent re-releases of that original run of the show, the creator pulled that episode and was just like, it's so bad, I don't want people to see it. And so for for years, it's been almost unwatchable. You can't you almost can't find it. It's not on like any releases in Japan or any of the American versions. Um, it's sort of like a, you have to find it in back alleys kind of deal. And it's not <laughs> worth it. It's just a poorly animated one episode filler yeah. of this long running series. For whatever reason, the creator decided to go back and do right by that episode and make a full movie exp- explan- expanding the plot of that one episode and animate it well, I guess. Um, which they did. Like, I. A Gundam fan will enjoy this because it's get what you want. It's the classic Gundam characters from the original show. It has new robot models. They fight each other. War is bad. You get what you want out of it. 
Um, the basic idea, like, I actually think that this one is watchable for someone that has no knowledge of Gundam, unlike that Dragon Ball movie where it had to explain a, a whole Everything. bunch of crap at the beginning that didn't make anything make any more sense. It just introduced new questions. This movie doesn't really spend any time explaining to you other than, like, there's a war and there's two sides and they fight with robots. You kind of pick that up right away and you can kind of tell who the good guys and the bad guys are. Like, it's relatively straightforward. Um, this happens in the middle of, you know, the other Gundam stuff, so it's just already kind of in media res where this war has been going on. And our main character that pilots the main Gundam, the titular Gundam, they're supposed to do this cleanup job on the Canary Islands, actually on Earth. Um, and supposedly the bad guys, the not-Nazis, have... Uh, pulled out of the area but there's some remnants that are like blowing up bridges that kind of deal that are left over and for some reason troops have been disappearing around this particular island and our guys go to investigate sure enough there's a bad guy there and he uh knocks our hero into the ocean and he loses his suit and wakes up and the island is filled with children and one ex-nazi who is now raising these children uh because they're all war orphans and our character learns how sad it is that these kids are trying to survive the war and that inevitably the sides are going to come back and, and try to deal with this guy or, or something in some way. And these kids could be endangered. And so most of it is just that where he's learning how bad it is. And we get this continued exposition every once in a while about the background of the conflict and where things are going. Eventually we find out that there's a set of nuclear warheads that are in a secret base underneath this Island and the Nazis mm -hmm. want to come back and set all those off. And that's kind of like when we eventually get to it. So I think if you watch it and have no clue about Gundam, it tells you enough that you're just like, okay, there's this island. This guy gave up on war. You know, there's war orphans. There's nuclear warheads underneath this island. Like, you, you kind of can figure it out as you go. It's well animated. One thing I really appreciated, it has the derpy 70s faces that Gundam characters oh, nice. have. <laughs> more more modern Gundam you know, that takes place in the other, you know, other universes uses modern anime like really big eyes like the kind of modern stuff you would expect 70s anime like you know speed racer their eyes are like sometimes just dots like little orphan annie or they're you know they're they're kind of like millhouse without his glasses <laughs> yes like millhouse without yes exactly yeah. but they all have these like exaggerated expressions and like comical like oh, way too for a war show like way too over the top animation and just their faces and stuff i don't know how to describe it they're like derpy weird but the aesthetic of this movie is like that there have been later gundam things in that same universe but they don't quite nail the original tone and feel of the show this one does which is a mix of stupid episodes where they like run out of salt and have to find salt to keep their ship going <laughs> we need ship right. salt damn it yes is exactly. that like the gasoline of this world <laughs> uh, yeah right the, the cook couldn't cook the meals without salt because you need <laughs> salt in your diet so just, i don't even it was some you're right and then the, like the next episode is murdering a thousand people like <laughs> the tone back in to the, the political conflict anime. now that we have salt boys <laughs> yes is all over the place Wait, do they um, murder so like people the for word. salt are these yeah, like salt you wars have to if you need, yeah the salt <laughs> wars um so it, it hits that tone. The robots are... It's interesting. We talked about the, the animation last time, John, with... Uh, Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball. Yeah. This one is all computer generated, but it looks... You know, that that's just the style everything is now. Mm -hmm. The models on the people are really good. 
they they are they feel that like classical 2d but by being 3d it allows them to like pan the camera easily like there's a lot of cheats now that's like well i already have a model so i can like turn the camera so to speak and not have to redraw a whole bunch of stuff the robots are in that like style where you can tell like okay they're they're 3d it's Mm. to a point now where i actually feel like it doesn't stand out in a weird way that it used to you were talking about the crappy we talked about the horrible effects on the uh hellraiser future spaceship oh yeah um that just stands out like you're like that doesn't fit within it here i actually think they're doing a good job of like it is a little bit weird but they're giant robots so it's like that's the one thing where it's like it can't be off because it isn't the same they thing. can help like, with like suspension this other... of disbelief like, yeah you're kind of okay cohesive. with it yeah. And the animation was really good on it. Like it actually had the fluid animation still. That I think that's one of the things when you talk about cheating in animation between keyframes. Yep. That gets lost in the like the fluidity of a CG you I, know yeah. animation, the 3D animation that here I felt like they did that where they like smeared during some of the frames to make things look good. So overall it was like the animation was really good and I think the the plot is what it is. It's Gundam. Like it's it nailed what I wanted. So I re- I really enjoyed it. Me and the other three people in the movie theater had a great time. Um, <laughs> and it you know it referenced things that Were you would expect your to wife see. It's cool kids. to see it. No, no. I, I I actually honestly I I had realized too late that it was only like Wednesday Thursday or two yeah Wednesday Thursday showing or whatever it was Tuesday Wednesday, and I was like oh crap I forgot that that was coming out. And it was only like a 7.30 showtime on both days. And I was like, I, I'm going to go watch that. And I said bye to my family. <laughs> and my daughter my daughter says to me, she's like, what are you, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm going to watch a movie. And she was like, oh, with who? And I was like, <laughs> nobody? Me. Just me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love going to movies alone. It's very relaxing. Yeah, yeah it was just... cool, right? Yeah, I kind of like pulled in, sat down, watched it. It was great. I you know, took my time with it. It was fun. Uh, but yeah, just let my own child's like, you don't have any friends here to go watch a movie with? <laughs> yeah, anytime Dixon so, says it's it's fun to go to a theater alone, I just see him sitting in the seat and I hear the taxi driver music playing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we can go should to other a, movies. Should be a moviegoer like other moviegoers. <laughs> yeah, like other movies, yeah. Hitting on the woman at concessions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get, uh, the, do you have any of those uh, Reese's Pieces? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Uh, so what was the name of the Mobile Suit Gundam movie? <laughs> Mobile Suit Gundam Kukuru's Doan's Doan apostrophe S Island. Oh, yeah, I know. And there's Wait, a Dixon colon I both in there have it somewhere. Up. I just wanted you to say it again. <laughs> so people. <laughs> to see if I could remember. Yeah. Uh, so you would recommend it. Um, yeah, I, I would recommend it. I actually think if someone out there is like, oh, I, Gundam seems like something... That I would be interested in, but there's a a million different TV shows and movies. I have no clue what to do. This one's like a good tip, dip your toe in to see if like, if you like the aesthetic and the type of story, because it's exactly what you would get out of any other Gundam property, just sort of distilled to one you know, one narrative, succinct that, narrative. Yeah. It's kind of what I like. It's a double-edged thing for like anime movies specifically is that they, although in this one's case, it seems like it kind of plugs into the rest of the series, the original, but most of them are like, 
And this movie's going to happen in between like a storyline that we have going on TV and none of the characters that are introduced in those movies ever make it to the end of them or we never hear about them again. So it's always like this encapsulated story just to snag extra people, I think, or uh, it just can tell a grander tale without yeah. being bound to things. There's so. a lot of those Gundam yeah. <laughs> movies where, yeah, it fills in between one thing and it's a bunch of people that have no relevance anywhere else. That's right. Um, this one, though, like... It, to me, it felt like the kind of thing where it, back in the day, you'd read comics. You just had to come in and read Batman. You couldn't go back and read the beginning. And yeah. there'd be in there like little editor notes that are like, oh, if you want to learn more about this, go read issue, you know, whatever, whatever to find out what happened. Yeah. This one can kind of fit in that way where if you're like, all right, what's up with Gundam? You watch it. The character Kukuru's Doan doesn't come back, but our main Armoro Ray and yep. the rest of the white base, they are the core story. So you, when you come back to it, all of those people will be there and have adventures, and you'll kind of understand, like, well, how did they get here? And yeah. right, and you'll be able to sort of enjoy it that way to go back and uh, make me want to watch Gundam, Ryan. Consume new. Uh, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's too cool. Except for the the one where they're all chibi. I don't give a shit about that one. Oh, uh, the SD Gundam. Yeah. I don't give a shit about <laughs> SD Gundam. Yeah, I am. I'm with you. That's a hard <laughs> no. I don't build those. I don't watch those. <laughs> I don't care about those. Um, cool. Well, thanks for the rec. Uh, Dixon, what do you got for us? Cool. Uh, so I saw a lot of new movies this week, and none of them were very good, unfortunately. Like, there's a, been a lot of new stuff that's come out over the past couple of weeks. Um, I did see uh, Moon Age Daydream again with John, and it was still wonderful on a, a second watch. So still recommend that. Um, but the other stuff I saw, it's like most of it was, was not quite good enough to get there. The movie that I think is probably the most interesting to talk about is Don't Worry Darling, which is the new movie from uh, Olivia Wilde. Uh, there's a lot of like gossip and controversy around this movie with, you know, Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles getting together on set and apparently Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde, but it heads a lot during production. Um, I was interested to see it because I really loved Booksmart, which was Olivia Wilde's uh, first uh, directed movie, and this is her second. Uh, so I was interested to see how she would follow that up. And I really like Florence Pugh. I think she's just one of the best actors working right now. And so I was interested to see um, how she would, would do in this. I think she always picks really interesting films for the most part, aside from Black Widow. But um, <laughs> so, you know, I was interested to see where this would go. Um, it's, you know, the general plot of the story, I'm, I'm sure like you've probably seen this movie in the news or seen the trailer. It's a, you know, this weird uh, suburban desert society where um, there's this group of dudes who all revere uh, this guy who seems like this kind of cult leader dude played by Chris Pine. And uh, all of the men work at some company that Chris Pine runs where they are allegedly working on some form of new technology to, you know, better the the government or something. It, it seems to take place in the 50s sometime. All the wives are very much like 1950s housewives. They, you know, stay at home all day. They don't work. They are supposed to, like, stay in their homes or um, they're not allowed to drive cars. They have to take a shuttle to, like, the shopping area and the pool, and they have basically can be at home. They can go to the shopping area, the pool, the restaurants, and go back, and that's really all they're allowed to do. Uh, as 
you know, early in the film, Florence Pugh's character has a friend who starts kind of freaking out and having a mental breakdown. She's like, there's something going on here. This place is wrong. We need to get out of here. We're not supposed to be here. And everybody's like, what? You're crazy. Like, you know, what are you talking about? She's, she's going insane. Um, and then uh, basically they're like, well, she left. She left town. She went to the headquarters at the company. And that's the one thing they ask us not to do is to go to the headquarters. We can do anything else we want. But if we go to headquarters, like, you know, then we're in danger and we could endanger everything that we're working for in this weird fucked up society. And uh, so they're like, well, she's going crazy because she broke the rules and blah, blah, blah. Florence Pugh starts to kind of ask some questions and and wonder what's going on. And that leads to her having some similar experiences and, and kind of questioning the world around her and and what she's doing. Um, I asked John and Ryan before, I was like, can I just spoil this? You guys care? And John was like, well, I, I wanted to go see it. So I, I won't spoil it. I no, will just go say, ahead, spoil I won't it. do it. I'm just going to say that <laughs> it, the concept has been done before. It's basically a, a famous movie from 1998 that I will not name. It's like basically the exact concept of that movie and uh, just done in a little bit different fashion. And I was just like, man, like they're they're putting all of this, um, you know, stuff together around trying to make this this interesting movie and comment on domesticity and all these things. But it really is just this one movie. And, and if you see it, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. Um, I, I felt like Florence Pugh did a really good job. None of the other actors were very good. And I think most of that is because the script was pretty weak. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of just stuff that like a lot of plot holes that just don't really make a lot of sense. Like all of these wives just kind of accept the reality around them without asking any questions. Like they can't leave their immediate vicinity. They don't like go on vacation or visit relatives or anything. And they're all just kind of like, uh, just accept this at face value without really, you know, thinking about it or questioning anything. And, um, I just thought that didn't really make a lot of sense. Um, I did think it was actually fairly well directed, um, but I thought the plot was pretty, pretty weak. Um, Harry Styles is not terrible in it. Like he's not an actor, you know, but I thought he was okay. He's gotten some shit for it. It's like, ah, he was, he was fine. There just wasn't much written into that character. Um, Nick Kroll is in it for some reason in a very non Nick Kroll kind of role. It's incredibly Uh minor. He plays Olivia Wilde's husband, which is an odd pairing. Um, And he's, he plays almost no role in the film whatsoever. He's just kind of there in some scenes. Um, But overall, I was kind of disappointed in it. It didn't quite get there for me. It's shot really well. It's shot by Matthew Liebetique, who has shot a lot of Darren Aronofsky's films. He shot Black Swan and Mother, and he, he's done some really great work in his career. And I, I, You can tell it's shot by somebody who really knows what they're doing. Um, and the sound design is really great. I, I saw it at uh, the Dolby Theater at AMC, and uh, the sound was, was really cool seeing it there in that theater. And you can tell if they put a lot of care into the production and, and the sound design and what they're doing. There are some cool visual effects too that appear, uh, you know, in small parts through the film as, as, um, you know, there's a, a plot thing happening, but, um, overall I just really thought it didn't work. It was just kind of a much worse version of a, an idea that has been done many times before and done really well in this 
particular movie that I'm thinking of. Um, so I, for me, I was just like, man, this just feels like kind of a waste of the talent that went into this movie. Like Olivia Wilde's a good director. Florence Pugh is an incredible actor. Matthew Libatique's a great cinematographer. Like I, I just kind of wish that they had been given something more interesting to do. And I'm kind of surprised Florence Pugh wanted to do the movie because it is such a weak script and concept, but I could see people kind of falling into like, Oh, this is, you know, a gender commentary movie and thinking it might be relevant for today. But, um, I just felt like it, it kind of missed the mark and it didn't give its characters enough like intelligence and, and credit to really try to be this social commentary that I think it's probably trying to be. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. When you, when you say like that, you don't believe that there would be this kind of commune of all these women who just kind of accept blindly what is being told to them. Is it that like there should have been, could have been probably more foundational work to lay into why they got brainwashed or how they were convinced to do these things? Yes. Um, like they explain why. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't really buy that. Okay. Um, and I mean, it's like, this is, this is not the movie that I'm talking about, but it will help put some context into it. Like it, it almost felt like the village a little bit where mm. it's like, wait a minute, they could have uh -huh. just like walked to the highway and realized, <laughs> that, yeah. That, yeah. you know, like, Oh, they're actually, actually like, you know, they were living in like 2007 or whatever, but <laughs> acting like they're in like the 1600s. Um, it, it had that kind of a, a, impact a little bit where it's like really like this is the kind of thing that they're doing here um and it just there's no curiosity from anyone as to what's going on with the world around them and there's not really sufficient explanation to justify why they they feel that way they don't appear to really be brainwashed necessarily there it's possible there could be some drugging going on but um un unclear really gotcha Okay. Uh, you said uh, Harry Styles isn't an actor. Mm -hmm. I just imagine him somewhere pulling his AirPod out, throwing it on the ground. <laughs> you don't know me, Dixon. Yeah. How dare I'm you? I'm starting a new career. Can't believe you've done this. <laughs> oh man. Yeah i I think about the. Uh, memes constantly for this movie like Harry Styles sitting next to Chris Pine as he explains that he, it feels like a, a real movie the movie <laughs> feels like a movie and it just like the camera zooming in on Chris Pine oh at the press conference yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like oh, I feel bad but at the same time like oh man uh, it's it's good they're funny they amuse me yeah <laughs> and Pine like in, unfortunately he just doesn't have much to do the character is not well written it's like I like Chris Pine I think he's a good actor but they get just is just it, nothing for is this him one of those do. things where like he has nothing to do but he's literally just brought in to have the charisma of chris pine yes okay uh-huh that's all I that's exactly know. that's exactly what the role is now i know why sasha wants to see it so <laughs> so harry styles chris pine full charisma why not uh even though he doesn't have anything to yeah do. i mean it's <laughs> full of attractive people yeah. um you know so <laughs> Well, they designed it that way, according to the story, I assume, anyway. <laughs> uh, no, not, oh, not okay. really. Yeah. It just kind of happened that way in the 1950s in America? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, we have um, a, a refute over here on Don't Worry, Darling. Uh, I'm sorry that you can spoil it, Dixon. I know you like to burn things to the ground. Uh, <laughs> we'll just make a policy next time. It's totally fine. <laughs> I'll neuralize myself I just myself want to be after. like, it's just this movie. Like, go watch yeah. this movie instead. But I, <laughs> yeah, I won't. We'll recommend that movie still. <laughs> well, then I will be giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. They were going to know. <laughs> They'll know one way or another. 
Um, okay. Uh, well, I, I don't have any of the Hellraiser movies to recommend. So the only other thing that I really watched, uh, aside from those nine feature films, straight to video most of them. <laughs> yeah, you already um, did your recommended yeah, review. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the only other thing that I've watched, and I've watched it twice now, is uh, Cyberpunk colon Edge Runners on Netflix. It's not true. You watched Moon Age Daydream with me. Yeah, but you already recommended it. I'm not going to go back through that. I would recommend Moon Age Daydream now. That's pretty great. Um, Cyberpunk Edge Runners is another one of those that I I want to recommend to everyone but I know that also I need to qualify it, um, which makes me mad because it's so beautifully animated. Uh, it's a 10 part series. It's not a movie, but uh, it actually you broke the rules, John. Hey, Ryan's we, broken the rules several times broken before. His Trap door <laughs> dropping you through the floor. No, uh, no, <laughs> don't do that. Release <laughs> <Anyways>. the hounds. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I broke the rules with necessity, though, because this 10-part series actually has the editing stitching so that it could potentially someday be a full feature-length movie that is three and a half hours long. And that's how long the actual series takes to get through, which is why I feel comfortable recommending it. I think, Brian, we talked a bit about maybe doing an episode at some point on uh, Arcane, but Arcane is is longer than that, right? I can't remember. Yeah, how I think it. it's full run times longer it's, than that. It's like yeah. six hours total or something. Um for the series, but this one, I'm like, yeah, this can be a, you do it in an afternoon, you sit down, have popcorn. If you make popcorn at home and just enjoy it. But for folks who really love like ghost in the shell or have watched, not the one, not the live action with ScarJo, uh, <laughs> the animated ghost in the shell, um, or interested in a lot of kind of like these, the blade runner aesthetic, this kind of, um, retro futurism. Uh, this has a lot of gorgeous animation and technological things around it that make that really cool. It, it plugs into a tabletop game series that's been going on since I think the eighties. Um, so it has a lot of characters that, you know, if you really, really want to get into the game, it can teach you about that in a way, but narratively it's so solid. The character work is so solid in it. There's, there's a bit of questioning. Um, there's two characters at the core of it. One is named David the other's named Lucy and they have kind of a tragic romance uh, sort of vibe around them. It's their like uh, they both kind of live in the slums of Night City, this futuristic, dystopian, capitalistic nightmare where Is basically it it's it might as well be because the buildings are so tall. They basically block out the light uh, oh, kind wow. of thing. <laughs> that, that's sort of like the vibe it goes for. It's um, there is. So there's a lot of things that I really like about it. That's why I'm recommending it beyond just the animation. Uh, one, it starts off with a really gory showdown between somebody who is like an ex-military person who in this world, you can get cybernetic upgrades. But if you get too many of them, they eventually drive you insane. Like it, it just is a real murder on your body and can just affect you mentally. And so it opens with somebody who's going into that psychosis and mowing down a bunch of police officers and then we kind of reveal, we pull back and reveal that David's sort of the main character we want to follow. But that opening like five minutes just grips you. And the first episode has no title cards. It's complete cold open for the full episode. So by the oh, time wow. you get to the second one is when the real title credits come in. But um, yeah, there's a lot of really cool things about the world. They do a great world building. Um, they have characters that come in that you don't, you don't need to know the context of it. It's an interesting narrative build to the story. And 
uh, even if you're removed from the tabletop game or you haven't played Cyberpunk 2077, which is the video game tie-in, um, this is taking place kind of in that same, uh, in 2077's world. It's in 2076 in Night City. Uh, but just so many unique characters, so many interesting concepts explored in world building. I don't think that this is something that necessarily has uh, things to say about it's it doesn't have a real direction it is about a it's a love story it is about these characters and how they meet each other and how they fall in love but it's also about scratching and surviving in this dystopian nightmare uh, a place where if you have health insurance uh, then the trauma team can come and save you uh, which is this group of ragtag dudes who wield guns like you know it's just a militant group that have guns that'll pull in the moment they detect your heart rate drops below something and if you have platinum tier then they do everything they can for you. But if you've got some like government assisted shit, they don't give a fuck about you. They'll dump you in a meat <laughs> wagon right. nearby. Um, so it has like these little notes to the entire world as it goes. It gives you more and more of how shitty everything actually is. And it builds so much pressure around the characters to show you why their story um, goes the way it does. But uh, yeah, the music is fucking great in it. The animation is stellar. Uh, it's just visual delight the entire time. And the story um, built around these two characters and their chemistry works so well uh, and introduces so many unique characters to it that there's I can risk, I've seen it twice now. Um, but the first time I saw it immediately after, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I can remember like scene for scene a lot of things that happened just because of how visually delightful it was. Um, yeah, but yeah. I would recommend it. The animation is by Studio Trigger. Yep. Um, it was pretty awesome. Like they, the, the, they're not quite crazy over the top, but the they were started by the guy that did Gurren Lagan, which mm. if you know what that is, then you're like, oh, okay, that's pretty crazy animation. And they did Kill a Kill right after that. So it's very much like an over the top, crazy color usage type yeah. stuff. Like they're really awesome. It, this does bring up because you mentioned you, you said Arcane and, and I keep talking about that as well as um castlevania i don't understand how these studios are making such great things based on tabletop games and video games as animated television shows and then the major studios have no fucking clue what to do with video game properties yeah that there's like a formula there you go there's the three hours can you trim some and make that into a a feature that you can put in the theater probably and it yep. would be better than any superhero or not. Sorry, probably. Well, better than any superhero and better than any <laughs> like video game movie that's come out in quite a while. Yeah, your Tomb Raiders or your Mortal Kombat's or whatever. Yeah. Or Mario that's coming yeah, up Mario. or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or the other Mario or yeah. Like, yeah. So it's interesting to me that, that there are people that can pick these up. And I feel like this is something that is like a love project right like yeah studio trigger wanted to animate something really cool the creators wanted to tell a really interesting story and someone had the cyberpunk rights yep <laughs> and they kind of married it together into something good um yeah i think i i feel like and I, I do want to do an episode on arcane at some point uh and just talk about it as an off the table but I, I think that the difference is there's actual inspiration behind these projects. Like, sure, they're tied to big franchises. It's a video game or it's a tabletop thing. But the creative forces behind it aren't just how can we exploit the shit out of this property? It feels a lot more like somebody wants to craft a narrative around the characters. They're actively interested in the world that it's being built in as opposed to we got Sonic the Hedgehog, kids. Like, come on in and see James Marston get married. 
uh, <laughs> whatever the to fuck Sonic. else happens. Yeah, to Sonic. <laughs> um, it's your own fan fiction realized. You asked for it, everybody. Uh, but but that's like the difference is, you know, a studio will say, fuck it, get Paul W.S. Anderson in here and have him do Mortal Kombat or that kind of thing. Studio Trigger, they're already, they're an experimental studio for animation. And I mm-hmm. think that cyberpunk is this, you have this opportunity to make characters that are so unique and different and can do crazy things that are inhuman. Um, there's like limitless potential for animation in that. And it's really fucking cool to see it all come together. Do you have Sonic to be familiar? Animated, he could do whatever. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you have to be familiar with the video game to no. watch the show? Not at all. Not at all. Um, if you end up wanting to dive into the video game after it makes the video game even more cool, but it doesn't intentionally try to do it. It's not like name dropping. There's a lot of guns and stuff that shows up in the anime that people that play the game are like, Oh my God, I have that gun on my character and whatever else. But the movie does not turn to the camera and go, this is that gun. Like you just inherently know it. And the characters also, the guns are selected for certain things too. So like even in the context of the movie, when a character is using a specific gun, the animator gives that character a certain weight because the gun's supposed to carry that. Like the kickback's so crazy or the shit that it does is supposed to be so wild visually. Here's what it looks like. And it's done all with the intent to just push animation to the edge. It's so cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't speak highly enough about this anime series. It surprised me because I was not going to watch it. I honestly didn't even look into the studio trigger stuff. I just kind of fell off the cyberpunk bandwagon and was like, nah, eh, I don't care maybe. And when I started watching it, I was like, all right, I watched four episodes and I was like, I need to show Sasha. Um, and the next day I was like, we're gonna have a date night, Sasha. And we're gonna watch cyberpunk. And she's like, I don't want to watch this shit. I don't yeah. want any of this. And we watched an episode and I was like, all right, well, you want to quit? She was like, no, 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 you can keep it going. And then after the second episode, she was like, well, now we got to finish it. Like I got to know <laughs> what happens. And she has no idea about that world or any of that. So it's like, okay, works, works on multiple levels. That's cool. Yeah, that's Is- what happened with Castlevania. <laughs> oh, yeah. The same yeah. thing with Darla. I was like, all right, let's watch a Castlevania. Yeah. And just kept him rolling. Yeah. Is that that video game that came out a couple of years ago that got like really trashed that like yeah. it was incomplete yeah. or something? Yeah, it got like released like too early well. and just yeah. very buggy. Crashed yeah, a lot it of was shit. Busted. Yeah. But it's it's really lewd and extreme. Like it's hyper violent, hyper sexual. Everything about it is pushed to the edge because that's just what Night City is supposed to be. It's like a hedonist garden for rich people. Um, and the lore behind a lot of it is fascinating. Even if when you're watching the movie, a bit of it gets to you where it's like, there's just like three big companies that own the city and they have like corporate wars that's like on historical record where they've paid private militaries to fight for them. And like all this other shit that's going on in the background of the movie that you're like, I want to fucking know more about this dystopian nightmare. It's really cool uh, aesthetically and in personality too. Um, The city is itself a character. So there you go. I use the cliche, everybody. I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I see on the IMDb page, I didn't recognize much of the cast, but I saw Giancarlo Esposito is in it, and he's, oh, yeah. he's always badass. Yeah, he is. Uh, I, I can't remember which, which characters he played, does it say? Uh, he plays... Because I didn't recognize Faraday. his voice. Oh, I didn't recognize Faraday's voice then. Dang. Huh. Yeah, all right. Cool. Uh, yeah, and I would recommend it. Uh, highly, highly, I would. Um, so, y'all have any other notes before we close this out? And we good to go. That's all I got. All right. Well, that does it here for us at the underground table. Uh, we have a, a recommend for the mobile suit Gundam movie. Kukuro's Island. Kukuro's Island. Island. 
Something. The Gundam movie from 2022. Yeah. Gundam 2022. <laughs> it's, it's running for office. Um, and then we have a, a refute for Don't Worry Darling. Uh, do worry, darling. That's what hmm. you should open it with, Dixon. Give me the old one, too. <laughs> Whenever I was, I've been hearing the title of that movie for weeks and trailers and, you know, different news clippings, and I always get the Beach Boys song, Don't Worry Baby, stuck <laughs> oh, yeah. in my head. And I always want to call the movie Don't Worry Baby. And I've successfully made it through the whole podcast without messing up. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Don't Worry Baby is the sequel to Dirty Dancing that they never release. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Uh, and then you have a, a highly recommend for me for a, a 10 episode limited series. I don't normally like to break the rules like Ryan over here, but I just had to <laughs> threw him under the bus. Uh, <laughs> I'm the whatever. only one who doesn't break the rules over here. <laughs> yes. We'll see. <laughs> Your time is coming. <laughs> but the only one that gives a shit around here. <laughs> yeah. I will only review movies on this movie podcast. God damn it. Oh, uh, Ryan, we got to trick him. <laughs> yeah, we'll get him. We'll get him. We'll get him. Uh, well, there you have it, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us for this conversation on Hellraiser and the entire Hellraiser franchise. And then three features that you should check out, uh, three different experiences. Well, one of them actually you shouldn't stay with them. Don't worry, really, darling. That's not <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't do that. Um, but yeah, signing off. It's uh, your host, John Garcia with me as always. Ryan King, moviegoers wept. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Dixon, thanks for putting up with our bullshit. Hey, did you know you can follow us on social? Myself, I find it annoying, like you. But science says this works, so sit down and listen. Unless you're on your morning run, then run on and listen. We're on Twitter and Instagram at N-O-T-U-T-Pod. Those are platforms fellow kids use these days. Did I mention I work for a social media company and a major messaging platform? If you're an older housewife, check us out on our Facebook page. Feel free to hit us up at Knights of the Underground Table at gmail.com. Let us know if there's something you'd like us to review. I'm old enough to remember when Gmail wasn't a thing. Please leave us a voicemail on Anchor. Actually, check those things. We'd love to hear from you. Check out the episode description for more detail. Subscribe to us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review on that favorite platform. Our overlords need to reinforce their self-delusion that they're providing a non-evil product. <laughs> <laughs>